Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, July 31st, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And Miss Stephanie Cook. Hey, hey, hey. All right, we are back for another edition of the Talking Comics Podcast. This week we'll be talking about the Wolverine, the, I believe... Sixth time Hugh Jackman has played uh, the character of Logan. Uh, that film we'll be talking about later on the show for our topic. Um, going along with that, Bob has actually organized a little um, short history uh, of the character Wolverine to kind of give us uh, some context, what we're going to be talking about here. Uh, we're, of course, going to be doing uh, our books of the week. But before we get to that, let's just, let's just talk, guys. Let's chat. <laughs> Stephanie, how are you doing? I am fantastic. Getting ready for Boston Comic Con starting this weekend. And, you know, things are good. Things are good. I got trivia today. Oh, that's right. Mm. Some geek trivia. Mm -hmm. Yep. So if you're in Toronto, come down to the Black Swan for some trivia. It's going to be good times. What a great name for a venue. Yeah. And before we start, Stephanie, I was yelling at you because you were about to tell us a zany story. And then I cut you off because I was like, I want the zany story to be recorded for all time. Um, or at least until the apocalypse where the, the <laughs> internet gets taken away by the robot overlords. We're so, canceling the apocalypse! <laughs> so, give us... Uh, we Regale us with the story of Oma. Oh, my... For anyone who doesn't, like, you know, follow me on Twitter or hasn't heard stories of Oma before, she's just like my crazy grandmother that I live with right now. And, like, um, I had a Skype date with uh, Mara Wood, one of our contributors on the site, and another friend of ours, Zoe Galexin. I'm sorry, Zoe, if I'm not saying your last name right. But anyways. Join the club. Um, <laughs> we were chatting, and, you know, Oma wanders back and forth, and I was like, oh, I'm having this video chat with my friends. She's like, oh, what? How? And I was like, on the computer. And I'm like, one's in New York, one's in Arkansas. And she's like, How? You know, like, it's, like, one of those things where old people just don't get the internet. They just don't understand it. So, like, I invite her in to come look, and she can see, and they can see her, obviously. And, you know, like, the first thing she starts doing is, like, shaking her hands and being like, ha, 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 ah! And, like, <laughs> shouting things at the computer, kind of, like, you know, all ape-like, you know. I feel like she wants to shake it and see wow. what comes out. But, like, you know, once she kind of gets over that, she focuses on the fact that Zoe lives in New York, and there's all this, like, scandal with Anthony Weiner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. So, Oma watches, like, the news, like, seriously, like, 23 hours a day. She sleeps for, like, an hour. <laughs> and so she knows, like, 
everything, right? And so she starts in on Zoe about like, ah, oh, do you know who Anthony Weiner is? Have you seen his Weiner? Ah, he's sending in everyone. And basically just starts, like, how do you even answer that? How do you respond to that? Like, uh, what? And Zoe's like awesome with her. You know, we've all been drinking a little bit and just kind of, you know, she rolls with him. She's like, no, he hasn't, thankfully, thankfully. And they kind of banter back and forth about Anthony Weiner. And I'm about to tell Oma to go away. And she's like, okay, goodbye. You know, see you again. Ho, ho, ho. And then she yells and she's like, don't you think sausages are better than wieners? And like, oh. away. I was like, oh, boy. That's my grandma, everyone. She yeah. dropped the mic moment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually really considering buying rubber microphones so that, like, people can literally drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. But basically, that's a short, you know, shenanigans. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's a good story. Um, I'm glad we saved it uh, for, the, for the recording. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve, how are you doing? I'm good. What have you been up to? What have you been up to? What have I been up to? I've been reading a lot. Catched up with lots of books. We'll get we'll get to the books. What else has been going on in your life, sir? I've been making plans, man. Making plans. Oh, let's see. Oh, yeah. I went to a concert the other day. Oh, that's right. Uh, I did. I saw Beck, Wilco, and Bob Dylan. I almost Whoa. said Bob Marley. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Bob Dylan. Um, it was out at Jones Beach Theater, and it was uh, it was awesome. Mm. I really I I the last time that I saw Beck was 1995 at Lollapalooza for, um, I believe it was Mellow Gold. Mm -hmm. This was back of, like, the long, dusty blonde hair, flannel shirt, and, like, keytar days Mm -hmm. with the, the, you know, the distortion kicked in, and he's just, like, kicking over amplifiers. Mm -hmm. And now he kind of looks a little bit like, who's that dude, um, the Pilgrim Man or whatever the guy is from, uh, the hell is that, Poltergeist? Or something. The guy, the tall man that comes to the house. He oh, looks the, like a, the preacher guy. The, yeah. The old, okay. <laughs> anyway, he looks. He he's got this big black uh, round hat. On. He looks folky, even okay. folkier mm-hmm. than usual. He's right. kind of. He's. I would equate him to almost like a like a Tom York of mm-hmm. artists, where he's just gone through a lot of transitions throughout his career, and he's at this weird, um, almost like folk disco kind of stage, but. This show, he was actually doing an all-acoustic uh, performance. So he played for about an hour and 15 minutes. He left the stage. Wilco came out. By far, my, my favorite performance of the night, easily. Uh, they were much livelier and just all over the place. Stuff that I didn't expect from them coming mm-hmm. out of their amplifiers and just really, really high energy, lots of fun. And they ended up bringing out uh, Beck for a three-song set, and they brought out Sean Lennon, which was really cool. So they did a a rendition of Loser with the entire band backing it, so it sounded like it did way back, but still Wilco covering the song with him on vocals. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they did a Beatles song. I can't remember the name of it. One of the much, much more trippier ones. It's Mm -hmm. actually on the rock band game. Okay. Um, And then Bob Dylan came out, and... If if I've heard Bob Dylan, I've, I'm sure that I've heard him throughout my life a lot, but I couldn't tell you maybe more than two songs oh. by him. He's mm-hmm. just escaped me that way. 
Uh, he was great. Was he? Yeah. For somebody in like, he's probably close to like mid seventies yeah. by now, like 72, 73. Uh, he's still very much a showman. He was mm. on the piano. He was getting up and, and doing vocals and his band was really, really good. The guitar mm. and drums in particular were great, but it was funny because his voice has obviously been yeah. like ravaged over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's been ravaged for a long time. It wasn't right. good when it was right. good. You had people in the audience that were, they had their phones out and they were Googling the lyrics oh, really? to the songs because you really couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying unless yeah. you were a big fan and knew the songs. So That's like the best part of any musician. Like no, I used to love Old Kings of Leon because like, you could make up any words you wanted to that and no one would know if you actually knew the words or not. It's true. But it was funny because I, I told my friend Chris, I was like, it sounded like he was talking to an infant, where like, like babble speak, <laughs> yeah. that every couple of words, you know, yeah. he, he's like, it was just, it was so entertaining and so good and just really awesome to, I mean, he's a legend. He's oh, been yeah. around yeah. for a long, long time. He's done a lot of great things throughout rock and roll history. And to see him on the water with, we had, tremendously good seats we were mm. dead center in the orchestra uh no one around to bother us mm-hmm. uh we met up with like eight or nine people from the city so it was great it was a good time awesome that sounds great yeah i love bob dylan did he sound like the records you recognized did you do the real arrangements or no he's very famous for doing weird things yeah, with yeah, the yeah. Song. no it was very i mean of the things that i did recognize and there was some it was just like the one, the one thing that I don't like about going to a show is I've seen a couple of bands where you go and all it sounds like is them playing their music loudly. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have any personality. There isn't any kind of stage presence. They're just there to play the music and they leave. Mm-hmm. Not to say their heart and soul isn't in mm-hmm. it, but you're not really giving me much of a live show. I could have gotten a good pair of headphones and cranked it up in my room. Mm-hmm. So the songs I did recognize, like I said, his band was very lively. Uh, not too much of a stage show in regard to lights and production. A lot of just spotlights on the stage turning different colors, mm-hmm. but nothing tremendous. It wasn't like synced up with the music or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, the drummer and the guitar player, I don't know if he was adding like extra licks to what was going mm-hmm. on, but the drum arrangements were really meatier than they are on album. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had a much more dynamic sound to it. So they made him, whoever was in the booth made him sound really good. You know, he's a, he's a showman. He's been doing long, long enough. Yeah. 50 years or so. Yeah. yeah. 50 years of music. Yeah. My, my dad used to listen to Blood on the Tracks. That's a great one. A lot. So that that's, I kind of got yeah. bred into the love of, of Bob Dylan. Um, mm. I've never seen him live, but I always find it funny because, you know, he definitely, from the majority of his life, he sung the way that people make fun of him for singing, mm-hmm. but when he started out, you could understand every word that he was saying right. on, on those records, um, and the quality of, of writing, whether it, it, it just in general, outside of it being a songwriter, he's a brilliant songwriter, but he's just a brilliant writer, right? You know, um, it, it's amazing the the messages and the things he puts into the songs while them still being, uh, you know. To, you know, sometimes they're eight minutes long, but they're generally, you know, still very catchy folk mm-hmm. tunes, even though they deal with this very, very deep messaging sometimes. Yeah, uh, yeah I love well, him. I think, too, like one of his biggest songs isn't even known that it's him necessarily. Yeah, no. I mean, like 
all along the watchtower. Yeah, yeah, he did. You that. know, is associated awesome. with like Jimi Hendrix, and then among nerds, you know, yeah. Battlestar Galactica, yeah, Bear McCreary and <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah. But, yeah. It's funny because he he started playing that, and mm. I immediately thought of Jimi Hendrix. I was yeah. like, I was like, oh, he's coming. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. no, he's not. No, yeah. I was like, he's probably not. This is probably his. It definitely is. Um, it was funny thing when he first played that song, people hated it. They hated it because he was playing electric. And that was not what yeah, he was supposed well, to be doing. He went electric at the Newport Folk Festival yeah. where everyone was sitting there playing acoustic guitars. Yeah. I heard a great story from someone who was someone who knew someone who was there. Let me just put mm-hmm. it that way. When they were recording We Are the World, mm-hmm. that Quincy Jones couldn't get him to sound like Bob Dylan. <laughs> he had gone so far from where he had begun that it just didn't sound like him anymore. Mm-hmm. And Stevie Wonder had to do an imitation of Dylan to Dylan. To get him to get into his regular voice. That's so strange. You're doing it wrong. That's right, so you're strange. doing you wrong. Yeah, you know, yeah, Bob, yeah, you yeah. gotta fix that. Well, 22, you know, a lot of his songs, like, Knocking on Heaven's Door, mm-hmm. which most people, if you ask anybody, you know, Stephen I's age or younger, would say yeah. it's a Guns N' Roses song. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know that much. You know, I know. I'm not saying that we but, don't know it, but I'm saying most people, when they heard that song, they would think of the Guns N' Roses song before they would think of the Bob Dylan version from a movie. Sixth grade Frost Valley trip. That song was all <laughs> the rage. There's a lot of songs like that, though. I mean, like, yeah. it's not um, Bob Dylan, but I mean, Hurt by Johnny Cash is actually Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like those funny things where you start associating a certain song with an artist and you think that it's just theirs mm-hmm. and then it's just like whoa really yeah i love the, cover? the boom of uh johnny fans after he did that song all of a sudden all yeah. the you know every every goth from every corner of the world <laughs> yeah. or whatever every industrial yeah you know suddenly loved johnny cash yeah. and it was like did you did you love him last week <laughs> I've been listening to Boy Named Sue for the last thirty years. Yeah, I'm sure. But yeah. Whatever gets you in, whatever gets you into what moves exactly. you is what I say. Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, it was before that, but do you remember that that song that David Bowie did with Trent Reznor? That I'm afraid of American. Yes, song? I do. Yeah. What? It was yep. Just, it was I'm weird... afraid of American. Yep. Yep. I'm afraid of the world. Yep. I totally remember that, yeah. dude. I saw. I know we're going along, but. I saw when I saw Nine Inch Nails, it um, the end of this, the last three songs, uh, Marilyn Manson came out, mm. Adam Ant came out, and Trent oh. Reznor. So all three of them were on the stage. They did Beautiful People, they did Physical, and some other like tremendously outlandish uh, cover. Mm. And it was like having three generations of that of that era of like mm-hmm. or that genre all together on the same stage. It was kind of like what happened at the show I just went to. Like, you had Bob Dylan. I mean, now mm. Beck has this strange folk thing that he's exploring. Wilco definitely has folk mixed in yeah, with, like, yeah, some of their yeah. more rock and roll stuff. Uh, and they were badass, man. Like, I I, I'd never heard them before. Oh, really? Nothing, no. Oh, wow, they were great, and yeah. I, all my friends liked them, but I've yeah. never... I just never bother to seek mm-hmm. them out yeah and i said yeah i said at the show i was like i've never heard them before don't tell anybody that i haven't heard them and my friend chris was like it's all right dude he's like i don't listen to them on album he's like i only i see them live like twice a year and that's good enough for me <laughs> and I, they i mean i was thoroughly entertained mm-hmm. and rocking out for a good amount of time it was the most time i spent in my seat yeah they're, yeah they're awesome they're awesome live yeah and if you're in toronto actually like Speaking of Wilco, there's another, there's a uh, sandwich shop on Bloor Street West, and it's dedicated to Wilco. It's called Sky Blue Sky, which is a Wilco song. Mm-hmm. And they have like posters everywhere, but when Wilco's in Toronto, they come and eat there, and all the sandwiches are like 
based off of Wilco wow. songs and all this. And it's a really awesome sandwich place, but yeah. They're not Canadian, are they? Are they no, like they're Texas not. Or this guy was just like a super yeah. big fan. They just had, yeah, I was going to say they have really dedicated fans. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's like a really amazing shop and it has like, it's super cheap, delicious, and everything. Awesome. They're, they're one of those bands that when they, sometimes when they play and there's no curfew, they'll play hours mm-hmm. into, the, into the night, like four or five hour long sets. Yeah. Well, like genuinely love what they do and you can mm-hmm. tell. Yeah, there's a movie uh, based, they have like a documentary made about mm-hmm. them. Oh, cool. Uh, I can't remember what it's called right now, but I watched it a couple of years ago. It's good. Nice. It's a, it's really good. Um, I, only thing going on with me is I've been obsessed with watching Orange is the New Black. I oh, told me you, too. I told, I told you both. I, <laughs> I told just you finished both. it. I finished it like last week on, on Friday, I think. I have not finished it yet. I'm eight, nine episodes in. Ooh. Like the only problem with Netflix though is, you know, like all the episodes are released at once and I marathon things, right? Yep. And they haven't been out that long. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm done this show. And then I'm like, holy shit, I have to wait like a year for new episodes yep. now. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's generally. I mean, I love it because there are certain things in the in the show that I feel like they slow play certain plot lines. Like the plot mm-hmm. line between the main character and the Laura Prepon character mm-hmm. is very slow play. Like I'm at episode eight or nine right now, and they're just starting to kind of speak to each other. So I think in a week to week show that would get a little taxing, but I think because they knew they were doing Netflix and because of the way they structured it, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's awesome. I think that I love it because a, I love that it's a, you know, if anybody doesn't know it's about a, a, a middle class or upper class, uh, uh, like 30 year old white woman who ends up spending a year in prison because when she was younger, like 10 years before that had, uh, you know, run help to run drugs with her then girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets caught for it. She gets sent to prison. That's how the show starts. Oh wait, orange is the jumpsuits. Is that what we're talking? Yeah. About? Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. It's based on a true story. It's based on the novel by Piper uh, something with a K. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the main character. I mean, it's actually a, it's a it's a memoir mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, but I'm not sure how much it diverges from that. Uh, yeah. But, uh, that prison was hilarious. Yeah, the prison was a lot of <laughs> a lot of kooky characters in that prison. But the coolest thing about it to me is that it's this it's this women's prison, but it's not filled with what you would think would be like the Hollywood version of who the prison inmates would be. Like there's all shapes and sizes and colors and creeds. Like it look. It, oh, it's not reform school girls. No, there are, there are people. This. There are people you would probably never see having lead roles in television shows in any other place. That have mm-hmm. lead roles in, in this show, which I think is awesome. Um, Although, um, what's her face from? Um, uh, but I'm a cheerleader, and oh, uh, 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 t- uh, Natasha Leone. Yeah, she's in it, and she's so freaking awesome. She's my yeah. favorite character. Yeah, she's great. Um, uh, Kate Mulgrew is in it. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's a prison, awesome. prison matron, probably. Yeah, she's a, no, she's, she's yeah she's, yeah. Uh, well, she's not. She's like. She works in the kitchen. Yeah, she but she's like the matron, you know, yeah. even though she's she's not technically the warden or the guard or whatever. She has that. She's like the mama. Okay. She's a Russian, like a crazy yeah. Russian lady. Yeah, yeah. Um, named Red. But it's it's awesome. It, it's funny, uh, but it's also, it has great dramatic chops to it as well. Uh, and they they do a lot of flashbacks in it to the, these characters outside of prison and kind of what they did. Uh, but in, in really 
they do it sparingly and they do it just enough, I feel like, in every episode. It's not like every episode you learn what a certain character did to end up in prison. They can just give you little chunks mm-hmm. uh, of their lives before they live there. And they mirror the stuff that's going on in the prison at the same time. And it's not... And it's not exclusive to one character. Like, it'll often flash between, like, the main character and one other character in yeah. flashbacks. Yeah. So it's not devout, de- devoted strictly to, you know, yeah. some person that you may or may not, you know, be interested in learning more about. Yeah. And the main girl is awesome. Yeah. She was in uh, The Lucky One with, like, Zac Efron that I had to review way back when. Yeah. Like, Where do I know her from? Taylor Schilling. <laughs> Taylor Schilling. And she's been in a couple other things, like TV shows here and there. Um I think she was a star of that this medical show called Mercy. I think it was the NBC. Yes. Yeah. Um, but she's awesome, and this is like star making potential of a role because well, she's she, so good in it. And she has to be like really ugged up a lot of the time too. Like she doesn't have any makeup on, and yeah, you know no. she's like, yeah, not you never see her really like beaten or anything. But you know she's worn down, and yeah. I mean she's in prison. She so. looks like a person, which is mm-hmm. cool. Uh, and for That's- me, it's the first one of these Netflix shows that I've, I've I've watched parts of at least all of them. It's the first mm-hmm. one that, in my mind, I, there's no caveats in my mind. I'm like, well, this is really good for like their first couple times out. Like this show, I feel like no matter what network it was on, would be lauded the same way it's being lauded for it being on feels- Netflix. It feels very much like a Showtime show, and it does. it's um, actually done by Jen Jengi Jengi Gohan. Jengi Gohan, yeah, yeah, who did Weeds? Who created Weeds? Yeah, and it, and it has very similar, like, um, not it's not exactly the same or in any way, shape, or form, but it has similar parallels. I think it does. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 has the good parts about that show before it got really ridiculous mm-hmm. and kind of lost its way so yeah it's a great a show horrible and, theme song <laughs> um it's a great great show and i've been obsessed with it it's it's it it, it uh it took me by surprise awesome watching it but uh so uh that's all the other stuff let's start talking <laughs> about some comic books um uh let's let's do a little bit of news first we had a little bit of news come out um so we heard some cw upfronts uh this week and then talking about Arrow season two, uh, they revealed that Barry Allen would be a character in Arrow season two, and then spun off into his own show, a Flash uh, episodic uh, program on, on the CW, much akin to Arrow. Um, so, in that same token, they also said that Amazon, the Wonder Woman thing, is still on hold, still on yeah. hold. So we get no news about that. Um, Stephanie, what do you think about a Flash show spun out of the kind of Arrow mold? Um, I mean, I've only read a little bit of Flash, so I know the character not oh, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm pro any show that kind of, again, showcases these characters and brings people to the comics. And as long as it's done well, why not? Mm-hmm. I'd watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Stephanie, did you watch any Arrow? Yeah, I'm about halfway through the first season. Mm-hmm. It's like, normally I'm really good at just sitting through an entire season of something in a couple days, but for some reason I just find it really taxing to kind of try and absorb it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's really good, but in small doses, like, you can kind of take apart the drama and all that stuff, like, if you space it out enough, mm-hmm. and it's not so, um, not heavy, but it's not so, I don't Eye-rolling. know. Pardon? <laughs> Eye rolling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like I have issues with some of the characters and some of the plot bits that are thrown in there, but 
when I space it out and I just kind of see the action and kind of what's going on with Arrow, I like it again. So, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a CW show, so it's always going to be hit and miss. Mm-hmm. It's pro- it's one of those shows that I think actually works better in its week to week episodic format rather than thrown yes. together in a chunk and watched all together. exactly what I did. Yeah, well, because I think there are some shows, obviously, we just talked about Orange is New Black, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, Battlestar Galactica, shows like that, which I think are built in a lot of ways, you know, they're built to be episodic and week to week, but they're, they're very much built as large stories that can be consumed uh, in large chunks because they're, they're, the seasons tend to have arcs going through the entire thing. Whereas uh, shows like Arrow, I think... Uh, are meant to, to cater more to the, the the viewer who watches things week to week, which, I mean, that's what TV is built to do in a lot of ways, so it, that's not an issue either. I find the same thing with shows like Burn Notice and stuff on uh, USA, which are entertaining shows and I think are good, but I, I tried to watch Burn Notice in a big chunk, and I couldn't do it because I just it couldn't get through the problems escalate when you smush them all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for Flash show, though, I mean, I love the Flash. I am excited to see what they do with him. I liked the 1990 show that they came out with. That was a great show. So I'm excited to see wh- what they do with this. Bob, what do you think about this? I've managed to watch about a half hour total of Arrow mm-hmm. in little bits and pieces. And mm-hmm. whatever episode I turn on, mm-hmm. it's two people standing in a warehouse shot from the ground up mm-hmm. into the corner. Yeah. And they're always sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it is just so effing ponderous is the word I would choose to use that I just can't, I can't stay there and watch anymore. Just, mm-hmm. Oh, can't we have some fun? Mm-hmm. Just a little. Oh my God. I love it. <laughs> just, I, 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 Never been the biggest Green Arrow fan. Mm. O'Neill Adams stuff, certainly. Love the Flash. Would love to see them do it right. But now Arrow's supposed to wear a costume this season, I've heard. Yeah, They're yeah, going to try yeah. to yes. get into that. Yeah. The Flash does not work mm-hmm. without the outfit. Yeah. It just doesn't. And mm-hmm. if he's going to run around in a red shirt and jeans or whatever, at least put Jay Garrick's Mercury <laughs> helmet on his head or something. Yeah, I mean, I think that Arrow uh, seemed to be at the beginning, if if not running away from the looking like a comic book, it seemed to be, uh, you know, going around the outside, like skirting the outsides mm-hmm. of it uh, with flashes in there. Because, you know, um, uh, they had characters, you know, uh, like Slade Wilson and stuff like that. You know, he had the costume on from the beginning. Uh, and he looked very much exactly like Deathstroke from the comic book. So, uh, and I think, but it seems like as the season went on, they started diving farther and farther in, bringing in Roy Harper, bringing all this stuff. So I think that they're starting to embrace the comic book stuff a lot more um, through this stuff. And with Green Arrow, it makes sense. You you can kind of get around a little bit because he's just a guy with a bow and arrow. So you can get around him wearing like an archer's hat or whatever because he just needs to be shooting things. But the Flash needs a costume because yeah. for, but even just for, he can't rip up his clothes or, you know, cause he's going to be running faster than the speed of light. Steve, what do you think about this? Um, I, th- I, I, I guess mm. I, I watched all of arrow after several people from the website. They had suggested that we watch it. And mm. I actually did watch it in a big chunk, probably over the course of like a week and a half. Mm. Um, I down the whole season. It gets better towards mm. the end. Uh, plot-wise, things do actually seem a little bit more comic booky because where the story, like the the climax, is so 
never, never would it ever happen mm-hmm. in real life that mm-hmm. you you realize that oh shit, I am watching something that's based on a comic book because this is just silly, right? So, but it has it has a very very thick layer of CWness about it, and. I understand that that's what this that's what this company does. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen shows where it doesn't have as much hold on it. Something like Supernatural mm-hmm. uh, doesn't fall prey to it. But um, Flash could work. I could be excited for it if they if he has a good introduction in the season, second season of Arrow, and there's enough substance and likability for him to carry his own show. I think it's good that they're going to introduce him first. Mm-hmm. But I mean, of course, they already put it out that, that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I hope, I hope it's good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, Here's the question though. Is, and I, you know, I'm excited about it. I love the flash and I, I want to see what they're going to do. And I think that, you know, much like in, in an odd way, what kind of game of Thrones did with their first season, which were, they started out seeming very, you know, like unmagical fantasy mm-hmm. story, unmagical no. middle medieval story. And, and, you know, slowly layered in those elements right. of, of the fantastical. I think that's similar to what they're doing. Obviously, Game of Thrones is a much better show, but what they're, what they're the similar thing what they're doing um, w- with Arrow, which is they're layering in these elements. They get people sucked in with the w- with the soap opera drama and, and stuff like that, uh, which is their bread and butter right now. And I think then you bring people in and and you you move on from there because they've already shown they showed photos of. Uh, Black Canary for for next year. Actually, yeah. they're going to do her origin. She's going to be a character. She's going to do her thing. So we're going to see that happening. Um, what I think is going to be interesting is, is this going to be DC's way of catching up with Marvel, but using what they're better at, which is the TV end of everything? Are they going to use... The guy who mm-hmm. plays Oliver Queen in Arrow and whoever they cast as as Barry Allen in The Flash... When they get to Justice League, are they just going to move those guys up to the big leagues, as it's a, as you, you might want to call it, right. into a Justice League movie? So this way they can develop b- both areas in in concurrence with each other without having to worry about packing well, some ill-advised and too quickly produced movies at one time. Well, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, it would be nice. But <laughs> Well, there's a little less stigma between TV and movies now than there was yeah. years and years ago. But, you know, Tom Welling didn't get a chance to be Superman. Yeah, but... Even um, having played that character for years. Yeah. And people were screaming for it because, mm-hmm. well, you'd ha- you'd migrate that audience mm-hmm. to theaters. Well, that would have helped or hurt. Right. I don't know. If you play the Flash really close to the vest and mm-hmm. don't go crazy let some of his origin be a mystery. It, mm. it could lead you something to tell in the movie, but if you mm. give all his story away for nothing on television every mm. week, are people going to care to pay $12 to go see him? Well, I don't mean a, I don't mean a solo flash well, I know, movie. but even in a, in a larger movie, is his story then... Well, I don't know. I think you could do a Just League movie with those characters in it um, and, and make something happen. Stephanie, what would you think about that, about them kind of using both TV and movies to build their shared universe? Um... I, I really don't know. I mean, I think that TV actors, to an extent, are different caliber than movie actors sometimes. Like, I, I don't know why. Like, there's a lot of characters in, for instance, CW shows that I would mm-hmm. never, ever, 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 ever want to see in a movie. Ever. <laughs> so, I mean, like, well. I don't know if 
I think it's a good idea to kind of build up that universe and those characters and kind of get them out there and people familiar with them. But I don't know how I feel about those plot lines and all that being part of the continuity for the movies and getting kind of caught up with that because, Well, I mean, they have control over all this, right? So they're going to control with Cash and the cast and the Flash. I mean, yeah, Warner, yeah, yeah. Warner Brothers. And if they have the if they have the eye to bring it to the movies, they're not they're going to cast accordingly, you know, for that. Um, and I I think much like you get with the with the Marvel movies, just because you have you know Katie Cassidy as as Black Canary in the Arrow show doesn't mean Black Canary is going to be in the JLA movie. You know, so I, I think you can pick and choose. I think you have to have that plan. I, I think, I, I don't think they had that plan when they made Arrow. Uh, and and so I think that show has a little bit more of that TV-ness to it. Uh, they could do away with that, you know. I mean, I would watch any actor that's in Mad Men in a movie, you know. So if mm-hmm. you cast, you know, uh, the right way, yes. you, you, can, you can fix all that. Uh production values aside the only the reason i would like them to do it is just because i think it would it would squash their worser instincts to bring every character in the dc universe into these television shows when they start running out of plot lines like they did in smallville you you know what i mean it would it would make them focus more on the characters they have to use because they can't venture off they can't be like oh we need to bring it we're gonna bring in Hawkman, and we're gonna bring in you know this guy and that guy and that guy. It will stop that from happening because they want to. They they are kind of beholden, you know, to the other things. I mean, they've never been able to use Batman. In Smallville, couldn't mm-hmm. use Batman. Arrow can't use Batman. I'm sure the Flash won't be able to use Batman. Uh, so let's see about that. I, whether or not they do that, or they just make a shared TV universe and a shared cinematic universe on either side, I think either one is a pretty cool thing if if the quality is there. Um, in uh, keeping with movie stuff, uh, Mark Millar, uh, a little quick snippet, just he said that, he, that there will probably be five to ten spin-off X films that we haven't seen yet in, in the X universe. <laughs> so other than the mainline X-Men stuff, stuff like the Wolverine, stuff like supposedly maybe Deadpool, stuff like X-Force. Um, uh, uh, now, Bob, do you think the X-Men universe is rich enough to dive into these different things? There are certainly enough mutants. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten movies mm-hmm. starts to sound a bit much. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's going to want to see a Storm movie, I wouldn't think, unless mm-hmm. you you recast that at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, wasn't there talk years ago of a Magneto movie? There was. That what, I, I think it would have happened if people hadn't disliked X-Men Origins, Origins Wolverine so much. Because it was supposed to be like, and that was supposed to be X-Men Origins Wolverine, X-Men Origins Magneto. And then I think after Wolverine, they just kind of scuttled it and did the mm-hmm. first class stuff. Well, you're going to have to go somewhere after Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. I mean, Singer's talking about having fixed things mm-hmm. once we get to that. So that does open up a lot of possibilities, past, present, and future. I mean, uh, fixed sh- things, but Halle Berry's still in that movie. So <laughs> how fixed can they really be? <laughs> Well, maybe she'll be very old in this one when we'll see her, in a, you know, and it'll oh, change things. She won't have much ten to Ten years say. after X-Men The Last Stand, they've said. The events mm-hmm. of Future Past are going to be the ten years after The Last Stand. Um, I mean, look how many X-Books there are. So you can, I was just about to say, yeah. which is sort of a problem. I hope they title them Uncanny yeah. X-Men and, yeah. <laughs> you know, like 12,000 things. And then when, you know, everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> For normal people who are like, 
what? what? How is that different from regular X-Men? You know, maybe they'll get a hint that... Well, I don't think they're going to do that. No, what, what I'd know, love to really... still... Do the branching thing. Show us the school. Show us the Wolverine, the X-Men comedy version. Mm-hmm. You know, and no one wants to really talk about those. So I think, oh, you can't be funny because mm-hmm. it, it, it ruins everything. Well, uh, Star Trek Four was pretty funny and <laughs> made a lot of money and didn't ruin the characters by having some fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen uh, Madrox, in mm-hmm. essence, mm-hmm. in Last Stand. So why don't do an X-Factor movie? Do a detective film noir thing with a guy who can be seven different places at once. Yeah. I mean, getting an X-Force movie, getting an X-Factor movie, getting some of these, I think, bigger characters in the X-Universe that haven't had their, their time to shine, I, I think might be cool. Um, you know, but obviously, I, you know, I, I think there are characters that are ripe for their, their own films. I mean, I would love to see a, like a proper Cyclops film because he never got his due in, in those X-Men no. movies. Um, and he still won't. I don't think he's not even in, in Days of Future Past. So there's, I would love to see something done with that. But, you know, I can't, I, the, my problem with this, I just can't picture what the 10 movies would be. You know, you know, if they're 10 separate properties, there'll be an X Force movie. What'd you say? Dazzler. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a Dazzler movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there'll be an X Force movie. Jubilee, the Vampire Chronicles. <laughs> we oh might God. get an X, X Factor movie. We'll definitely get a Deadpool movie. Eventually, it's going to happen. He's one of their biggest characters. Um, and we might get other spinoffs for other characters that maybe hit big, you know, in, in, in this world. Mystique. do a Mystique movie. I'd be all about that. I don't... Not me. That doesn't seem like a very interesting character to do a movie about. Oh, you could do a great spy caper movie with her. Yeah, they wouldn't do that. Come on. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Come on for? Get out of here. <laughs> We're allowed our opinions, Bobby. Yeah, <laughs> Stephanie and I will go see that. One. What do I think yeah. of them doing 10 X spin-off films? Or 5 to 10 and with the idea of creating an X universe film universe like they've done with the Marvel universe in general. If they broke it up and they and we had a couple of different movies and different genres, if you had one that was more on the horror end of the spectrum, you had one that was a little bit lighter, a little bit more comedy, so long as they're varying, like I, mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in. I think five announcing that there'll be five to ten movies, while it might excite a lot of people, I think it's a very lofty number to be kind of throwing around this mm. early into the game. Well, to be clear, he didn't announce anything. This is just Mark mm. Millar talking, which yeah, he does yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, but I mean, comic book movies so far, or not so far, but for for a little while now, have been all that I can depend on to really entertain entertain me. I can't really name a whole lot of movies that I've seen in the past couple years that I've been like, oh my God, did you see? Like it's a lot of it's been the Avengers, mm-hmm. um, Pacific Rim, even though it's not a comic book movie, mm-hmm. it's still within that, that, you know, interest bracket, mm-hmm. so to speak. So I, I suppose, I just hope that there's a plan. Mm-hmm. I hope that there's a plan and it's not just a, a way to beat the horse. You know what I mean? I think that there'll there'll always be potential for other characters, but you gotta you gotta build them right. Like having Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in the next Avengers movie is awesome because mm-hmm. that's you can take them places after that. If they are I hate the word inseminated early. <laughs> uh there could be a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. I'll have to see. I if 
the new Wolverine movie is any indication as to where they're going with these movies that they might start be starting to get a little bit better mm-hmm. than yay. Don't give don't give away the farm. We have to, we got to review the Wolverine in half an hour, so don't give away the farm with the Wolverine review. All right. How about the X Men in the Savage Land fighting dinosaurs? See, that would be cool. There's there you go right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's a big universe, and we'll see what they do with it. Uh, speaking of Quicksilver, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who is kick-ass in Kick-Ass, met with Joss Whedon uh, this past oh. week uh, discussed, to discuss playing Quicksilver in Avengers 2, cool. Age of cool. Ultron. Uh, and he uh, actually said some really cool stuff uh, about it. Um, he said, firstly, I'm flattered to have been offered to, this is from bleedingcool.com, by the way. Firstly, I'm flattered to have been offered to be one of the Avengers. Honestly, I think it's one of the best fucking compliments you can have <laughs> to be part of that gang for sure. For me, it's always about character. So if you haven't got the basis of something to grab hold of, uh, the personality, you're lost. It doesn't matter if he's got a fucking great power. It's always about what's going through the guy, the guy's mind. That character and him and his sister have been abandoned by his mother and father. They're from Eastern Europe and they look out for each other. They've struggled through life. There's already so much there. And then there's thousands of comic books to go dive into to get the character. And that's what the work, that's what you work on really. So. Wow. He sounds excited and dedicated. Yeah, he does. Thumbs up. (laughs) Um, I like him too. I think he's really good in Kick-Ass. So, uh, and I think yeah. he's a pretty cool choice to, to play Quicksilver because yeah. no, he has like enough him. vulnerability, but still there'll be an edge to what he does. Yeah. That's yeah. going to work. What were you saying, Stephanie? I love him. He's awesome. And he was in um, Nowhere Man too. And he was fantastic in that mm-hmm. as John Lennon. Yeah, it's the John Lennon biopic, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But he's so good. He's such a like. I mean, I think a lot of people exclusively know him from Kick-Ass, but I think he has a lot of range, and he's a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. That's that's a cool choice. It's a very very cool cho- very very cool choice to play that character and lines up age wise what we've been hearing for uh, Scarlet Witch. So if they're going to be you know similar in age, that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see him with that white hair though. Yeah, they, and he probably better have the gonna, white I'm hair. I'm going to assume he's going to have the yeah. white hair. Uh, uh, Gets it from his dad. Uh, Joss Whedon <laughs> did say that yeah. he's not going to that Scarlet Witch's costume is going to be different. She's not going to be running around in a a singlet or whatever, a, a leotard uh, doing magic. So she's going to change that up a little bit. He said it's going to have hints to that costume, but it's going to be different. But she's still going to be casting spells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's she's going to be casting spells. Um, On your heart. Oh! Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just going to mute things. <laughs> and in a little bit of uh, more, more movie news, again, there's a lot of movie news this week. Um, uh, today, actually, I guess Tuesday, they launched uh, a website for Trask Industries, which is the company that makes the Sentinels and X-Men mm. with this, you know, viral video, which is like a corporate promo for the company where you actually get to see Sentinels in it. Um, and they have this whole functioning website where it gives you the history of the company and what they do and their mutant detecting technology mm. and all this stuff. And they released this awesome picture of Peter Dinklage as uh, Boulevard Trask with this big mustache and like, this long like '70s hair with like the, the you know the '70s uh, you know reading glasses kind of mm. look to him. <laughs> Looks really awesome. Um, I'm very excited to see that stuff coming up. Well, it's good that they put the history back into there because in Last Stand you do see a Sentinel. Yeah. So they're already known, mm-hmm. at least to the the X Men. Yeah. Yeah. So it that that's cool. I mean, that's just a little bit. This is like a little tidbit of news. But if guys would check it out, um, 
Well, we'll put a link to the the fake site. Well, it's a real site for the fake company in the show notes. Um, it's very kind of very like what they did for Prometheus. Yes, it's, oh, it's almost identical what they did for Prometheus. Even the video is very similar. Um, it's very very cool stuff though. Um, and some other quick. This is actually comic book news. Uh, uh, Thrillbent.com, Mark Wade's uh, digital comics uh, website, just started an online store that offers uh, PDF downloads. Uh, that come with uh, if you buy them because you can, obviously you can read Thrill by the Comics for free if you buy them they have special features and they're linkable documents so they can link to cool stuff all over the internet mm. um, so yeah it's it, it's it's a pretty cool thing Stephanie you're a big fan of the Thrill Bent stuff right? yeah yeah I, I haven't read a ton of it um, but I do enjoy the ones that I have read I think they're fantastic and I think in the past I've said that they are like my definition of the future of comics mm-hmm. so I would be on board with cool things like special features and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to know how they do that and how they plan on, you know, expanding that kind of, the things that they do. Um, And just to clarify, the things that they do are sort of like motion comic kind of things. Mm -hmm. In addition to great storytelling and writing and art. So I, I think that's a fantastic move to, you know, bring people to that site to buy stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. From them as opposed to, I mean, I love comiXology and all the other ways you can get stuff, but that's a really neat feature to have added in. Yeah. What Mark Wade said is digital comic distributors like comiXology and Iverse continue to be great and valuable partners to us and our comics will remain for sale through those platforms as well. I get fully that there are plenty of comics readers who value the convenience of cloud-based services like the ones they offer. And value add for us, we generally like the people who run those companies, but we hear constantly from readers who prefer to own and collect the comics and files they buy so they're accessible with or without an internet connection, and we're happy to oblige. Um, And the store, it's currently offering uh, The Damnation of Charlie Wormwood, Pax Arena, The Ace Seal, Moth City, uh, and the kid-friendly Aya Comics, and Insufferable, which is Mark Wade's book, um, which are all, they're all pay-as-you-will, similar to what... uh, um, the private Brian eye, do. yeah, Brian Kavan, the private eye, do so. Whoa, yeah, and Moth City and Insufferable are both really great. I've mm. I haven't read all of it, but I've read you know chunks of them, and I highly recommend them. Yeah, b- very cool books and a very cool initiative, and you know, continuing to kind of evolve that digital comics space, uh, and as usual, continues to be on the forefront of that stuff and kind of get out in front uh, of how to manage it. Um, uh, some, some delays news here from Marvel. Um, so Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, and Hunger are both getting delays. So Guardians of the Galaxy number six has been delayed from August 28th until the 20th of September. Um, though the seventh issue is only slipped two weeks. So they're trying to catch up there. Hunger number three has slipped from the 4th of September to the 2nd of October. Um, and while Hunger Number Four is slipped from the second of October to the sixteenth of October, so they're still trying to they're trying to catch up there. Um, so yeah, some so some delays uh, on the Marvel side, which will give you a temporary a temporary reprieve on your wallet, but only to hit it again when they actually catch up and they come out in a very very short <laughs> amount of time. Uh, but let's forget about the books that are delayed. Let's talk about the books that we loved this past week. Bob, why don't you start out for us? Okay, okay. Uh, short one because one of our other, my other books is, is in someone else's pile too. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of an all retro book of the week <laughs> for me. 
Um, from Boom Studios, it's Steed and Mrs. Peel number 10. Just one more to go. Caleb and Rowan, Yasmin Liang, with a really neat Joe Caroni cover here. Uh, it flashes back to Mark Wade's Zero issue, the other issues in between, two or three different episodes. Just really fun 60s spy stuff uh, that you can pick up a book that's about a television show from nearly 50 years ago and have it seemingly would slide right into the style of writing from back then is just a, a testament to Mark Wade who started this mm-hmm. and Caleb Monroe who picked up the ball once the, the series went to um, ongoing. Again, sadly, this one's disappearing. One more to go. Mm-hmm. We had a big shock ending at the end of this one, though. You never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> Since the show's been off the air for 45 years, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> uh, we'll save that one. And speaking of Mark Wade, mm-hmm. uh, from IDW this week, it's The Rocketeer and Spirit Pulp Friction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Mark Wade, Paul Smith, who did X-Men for years and years. I am assuming it's the same Paul Smith. Yes, uh, I think he, somehow I think he had an initial years ago, but I don't know, mm. maybe dropped that for <laughs> brevity. And Jordi Belair on colors, which certainly, certainly helps. Um, it's really amazing. Paul Smith here, I mean, beyond that Mark Wade just born to write these sort of retro characters, mm. he just nails every aspect of every character here. Mm. He really does his homework and, and gives you just what you want going in. You knew what you were going to get once you had his name on it, but that doesn't mean you, you, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Paul Smith's spirit looks like Will Eisner drew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rocketeer looks like Dave Stevens, and, and the pictures of Betty look as if they're Irving Claw pictures of Betty Page. I'm not sure how he does this. But it's just really amazing how it's, uh, so many different moods are captured within sometimes the same panel. It's a wonderful, fun mystery about how, uh, how a dead body gets from Central City, which is on the East Coast, to, mm-hmm. to Los Angeles in 1941 in eight hours. Now, that didn't happen back then when it was a, you know, an 18-hour plane ride across in, the, in, a, in a prop job. Does, does Cliff have something to do with it or someone who has something to do with him, perhaps? Uh, of course, there's a misunderstanding. The Spirit and the Rocketeer get in a little bit of a brawl. I think the girls will, too. You know, Ellen mm-hmm. Dolan, the commissioner's daughter, and Betty aren't not going to get along when Betty fawns all over the Spirit. <laughs> Just a lot of fun. Uh, if, if you've been picking up the Rocketeer minis that have been so far, Cargo of Doom, Hollywood Horror, you definitely want to get this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. It was, uh, it's interesting. No, I said the word interesting too much. So it, it's, uh, I, I, I really like the way that the style of writing adapts to the voices of the characters. And even more with this, because I read uh, Cargo of Doom, um, and he didn't really have that kind of, yeah, see, like, we're going to talk like this kind of mm-hmm. feeling to it. This, with the inclusion of the spirit, definitely has more of that kind of moxie to the, to the way it's written, you know? Yeah. And the, yeah, and the way the characters go at each other and the repartee and the, uh, the wit that's going back and forth is, is definitely there a lot, a lot more. And the style of, of the story is much more old school, I think, than even his other Rocketeer work ha- ha- has been. The the way they meet, the way they interact, it it feels a lot like a, like a books that I've read, not from way back when these characters were around, but you know, much more in like the sixties, seventies yep. type uh, type of uh, uh, com- compressed uh, storytelling, and probably because it's it's a mini, so it's the, you know he's telling a a a, 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 a you know bookmark story, but all that stuff. It's crazy because, you know, you 
you can't you can't throw a dart at the way that Wade writes things. You can't say, okay, I know this. Uh, Mark Wade's writing this, so this is you know the spirit's going to sound like Matt Murdock, you know, or whatever it's going to be, um, or Matt Murdock's going to sound like Wally West or whatever it is. It, it seems he's just a, he it really adapts his writing style very well to these different uh, areas, which I think is really really cool because mm-hmm. I didn't ex- this is not what I expected re- reading really? it. No, no, because I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I've read I've read Rocketeer stuff. I've never read any spirit stuff before. And, you know, I expected a romp and I expected something with a lot of adventure and, and to have an old school feel, but more old school kind of on the fringe than it being old school at, at the heart of it. Uh, but definitely uh, very cool and meaty, too. It took a while to get through. It took a while to read through it. Yeah. A lot of a lot of words to, to get through. Uh, yeah. Steve, did you read it? No. You didn't read it? Okay. <laughs> I still have Cargo of Doom that I have yet to read. I have all of it, but I have not sat down to read it yet. Well, they're not like in order. You don't have to read Cargo Doom before you read this. Well then, even Just, though that's 1939. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I don't think it. But I'm saying like there's no, no not. there's no, cont- no continuity between the two stories uh, at all. Um, and Stephanie, you didn't read it, right? No, not yet. Okay. Just making sure. Then, Is it all for you, Bob? That's it. Oh my goodness! Very very short. Stephanie, lay it on us. All right. Well, let's see. For this week, I have read. A significant number of things. Um, I finally got through uh, the last of Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. so I read like I don't know from like six ninety to seven hundred. So I'm like caught up on that. Well, on Amazing um, Spider-Man, yes, not yes, on the fifteen issues of Superior, Superior Sp- Spider-Man, but <laughs> I'm really happy to have accomplished that much at least. Yes. Finally, got to read issue seven hundred, although obviously it was spoiled for me, like, right? <laughs> way way back then. Yeah, um, but. Really enjoyed it. Um, for all you people who are hating on Dan Slott, leave him alone. <laughs> like, for real people. He is doing something risky with a character. And if our characters were all safe all the time, stories would be no fun. Grow up. <laughs> Just putting that out there. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to, you know, other stuff where I'm not yelling at you guys. Sorry. <laughs> You weren't yelling at us. We yeah. were always nice to Dan Slot. Oh, yeah. not you guys specifically, but, but you know. <laughs> Those people, guys. People who are being mean to Dan Slot. Leave them alone. <laughs> Anyways, um, I finished off uh, a series I had been talking about on and off since it started. Um, Amala's Blade from Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I'm not entirely sure. Like, it says it's kind of the end. I'm not sure if there's an issue five or if there's more coming, but I think issue four is the end of this arc, and I really enjoyed it. Love the art, love the story. Um, I think it'll read a lot better all in trades, so I'm not sure if they have a release date for that, but I would keep an eye out for it. Um, it's by Steve Horton coming out from Dark Horse. And, yeah, check it out. <laughs> um, I read a bunch of other things. Rachel Rising, good as always. Um finally read issue one of Astro City. And my actual book of the week, though, is uh, Jeff Parker's Batman 66, number one. Ah, very cool. Um, I'm not sure if we've talked about this yet. Not really, no. We've mentioned hmm. a couple times, but we haven't got into it, no. Yeah, um, there's not too much to kind of tell, but basically it reads like one of the old Batman episodes. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic and it's so much fun. Mike Allred does the covers. Um, Jeff Parker writes the scripts. And I'm not entirely sure who did the art off Jonathan the top of my Case. head. Jonathan Case. Jonathan Case. Yes, um, He did... Didn't he do like a murder um, mystery thing? Like a... 
Maybe not. Okay, I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. I'm looking him up right now for you, Stephanie. He did like I feel like he did. Um, I think I know who he is, but I I can't remember what the title of his big uh, book is. He did the creep. Uh, okay. He did Dear Creature. He did House of Night. Um, Green River Killer. Yep, that's it. Green okay. River Killer. All right. Anyways, so he is the person I was thinking of. But yeah. Anyways, um, it's just a really fun short comic about you know Batman and Robin like way back in the day, hmm. Batman sixty six. Um, the color palette is bright and just you know. Lots of yellows and reds and oranges and very, very, very hokey, but incredibly fun. And mm. I highly recommend it. Did, uh, did you read it uh, like digitally or did you buy the, the physical copy? I read it digitally. Okay, yeah. The dig- if you do the guided view stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it's really, really cool. Cause mm, it, it's- it, yeah, it has like that, uh, you know, the Moth City... Yeah, yeah, the motion comic kind of thing to yeah. it. I mean, it doesn't move or anything, but it it goes through what you should be reading, you know, at that time. And mm-hmm. every time you kind of swipe or tap, um, it'll bring up the next word bubble or, like, the next thing will be, like, a big pow! Yeah. Or it's just so much fun. And it's um, it's exactly what you would think. Like, it kind of feels like an old, lost Batman script from one of the episodes that's been turned into a comic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you enjoy that kind of hokey stuff and those old episodes, it's definitely up your alley and it's tons and tons and tons of fun. It's a nice break from the serious Batman stuff. I mean, I love Scott Snyder's run on it, mm. but it's nice to just kind of remember the times when he was a bit of a joke. <laughs> Were you doing Adam West and Burt Ward voices in your head while reading it? Duh. <laughs> is that even a question is that rhetorical awesome so batman 66 number one mm-hmm. um all right cool steve what do you got for us well unlike stephanie i am actually caught up on superior uh superior spider-man and this i won't spoil anything but this past issue was crazy are you reading it yeah but i didn't read issue 14 yet all right well without getting into details it's it's enough what what Dan Slott has done with this character and with this series thus far, but issue number fourteen ramps things up even more and just it really, really puts into perspective just how out of control things have become within the Spider-Man universe and just how much he is running the show at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few significant things that happen in this issue that, like I said, really put that into perspective and really make you kind of step back and, you know, you kind of, you enjoy the way that uh, Ox Spidey has kind of been taking care of business differently and you find yourself agreeing with some of his methods, not all of them, but he's getting a lot of work done, you know, but he's also behind the scenes taking it to a level that you just you didn't expect especially at this early mm-hmm. in the run and it's just really interesting to see how much bigger this thing is getting um i didn't know that it would last this long mm-hmm. i had no idea that that superior would be around for as long as he has and it doesn't show any signs of changing over anytime soon mm-hmm. so, i mean i think you'll probably get a, a year 
I think you'll probably get a year probably of yeah. Superior before they even think about changing it because you need to pay off the, the, all the, the stuff. But, I mean, there are aspects of this story that were there in the beginning that have been all but abandoned now, mm-hmm. for, at least for the time being. For the time being, yeah. But it's just, it's really just wild. The, mm-hmm. Like Steph was saying, the how different he, he took the character in such a different direction. He's doing so many new things with it. And, you know, it's it might be uncomfortable for certain people to see their hero doing these things, but I I love it. Mm-hmm. I've loved it from the start. It's just getting better. It's awesome. So, uh, but one of my other favorite books this week was Young Avengers number eight. Mm-hmm. I won't, again, won't spoil anything, but holy crap, there <laughs> were about two two moments in particular in this one issue alone one of them I leapt with joy. I just, I, I was reading in my bed, my cat was sitting on my lap, and all of a sudden I just kind of was like, oh my god, oh my god! My cat got up and said, what the fuck is wrong with you? And ran out of the room. And I was so psyched. And then in the final, final page, there's another shocker. And it was just, it was like a one-two punch for anybody who is not only a fan of the Young Avengers, but has kind of been following some of the characters that are in this comic that have, you've been following them for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- things have a way of coming back around. I'll leave it at, I'll leave mm-hmm. it at that. And it's just, I am dying for the next episode, uh, episode uh, issue <laughs> just to see if it was a fluke or if they're actually going to start doing something with it and kind mm-hmm. of incorporating it. I hope to God that they do because I was so psyched. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, the there's a special amount of of silliness to it uh, mixed with a, a a really undercurrent of danger and, and peril uh, for the characters in, in question. And y- you know, it, it reminded me a little bit of like a Doctor Who episode. Mm-hmm. A little bit had a little bit of that aspect to it. Um, the, the 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 team is this is the team is jumping dimensions looking for a, a they're pursuing a villain and or who they think is a villain and uh, th- these these all in these parallel universes where you know they're like crazy like half robot versions of themselves who are evil or like it's like a you know a, a a th- a thing full of like little creatures that like worship one of the one of the one of the characters. Demigu. Yeah, they're so cute. <laughs> uh, really funny stuff, and and then uh, some emo- really emotional stuff. Some characters get split up, you know, for the time being. And I don't mean like relationship wise. I mean you know in physical distance from each other. That you know, makes you worried for one or the other. There are two characters who you think, how are they going to get out of the situation that they're in? There's a lot that happens in this book and it's, but it's just full on awesome all, all the, all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, the book is, has been great. Yeah. Really, really great. I loved it. This was definitely my favorite issue mm-hmm. so far. There might be one other one that was just truly fantastic. It was either three or four, mm-hmm. but this, this has been the best issue in a few. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. But my absolute favorite book of the week uh, is from Dark Horse Comics. It is a one-shot, hopefully. They say at the end it might be continued. I hope so. But is uh, a book called Gamma by Ulysses Farinas uh, and Eric Freistas. 
I Nicely I, done. Yeah, I hope I got that right. So it's about a guy named Dusty. And Dusty is known throughout this little, uh, I guess, water, just barren town or, or whatever the hell it is that he's, he's staying in. He's known as the Coward. Because essentially, he lives in a he lives in a world where people use let's just call them Pokemon to to fight battles. It's a little bit Pacific Rim. It's a little bit Pokemon. And Dustin is having a drink at the bar, and a guy walks into the bar. Sounds like a joke. Yes. Sir. And he gives he hands the barkeep fifty dollars, and he says, "I get to punch the coward." And he goes, 50 bucks. He pays them 50 bucks. And he punches our main character in the face. And he punches him repeatedly. $250 later, you start to wonder, what the hell, what is this guy's deal? He gets his cut of the money, and he walks right across the street and over to the whorehouse. And that's where he chooses to spend his nights. Mm -hmm. And then he goes home at night to his angry wife, who is just disappointed beyond words at the person that he's become. Why is that? You find out that Dustin actually used to be quite important. If you've seen Pacific Rim and want to think of him as the uh, lead Jaeger pilot, if you will, he is like, he was the the big man on campus. He was a hero uh, worldwide that these, the more gigantic of these Pokemon-like monsters were kind of running amok. They were getting too big. They were destroying cities. They were laying across uh, landlines and keeping ships from coming in. So people were getting hungry. And it basically just got to the point where there was so damn many of them that their last hope came down to this guy. And he chose, in, in his moment where he could have chosen to shine, he decided to save his own ass and basically mm-hmm. abandon the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the story of the aftermath of those events. And it is just so damn uh, unique and, and quirky and funny and bizarre. Uh, it's The art for it is really, really cool. It's almost got a... Uh, like a Adventure Time kind of vibe to it. If you've ever seen that character, I can't remember, the Lemon Prince or something like that. Stephanie, do you know who I'm talking about? I do know who you're talking about. I don't know what his name is. Okay. Anyway, uh, the the art is is very playful, very Earl colorful. Earl of Lemon Grab. That's it. Lemon Grab. <laughs> um, it looks like variations of that character, just really rough, weird-looking creatures all over the planet. Um, it's it's really, really funky. I just, I, I was cool. I didn't know what it was going to be. It became recommended uh, by our friend Rob, and he put it on my pile. I had no plans to get it, and he just said, buy this. I said, really? He goes, <laughs> yes. And he was right. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out something really cool, if you used to play a lot of Pokemon in high school or college, like I did, this will definitely, uh, scratch an itch that you didn't even know that you had. And, uh, it's fucking awesome. It's a one shot called Gamma, uh, by Ulysses Farinas and Eric Freistas from Dark Horse Comics. Nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Um, so... We'll talk about two books. Uh, the first of which I just want to talk about because it was probably the the biggest number one that hit uh, the shelves uh, last week, and that was Hunger Number One, which is a mini series uh, written by Joshua Halfialkov, um, with uh, sorry, with art by Leonard Kirk, 
And it's coming off of Age of Ultron, uh, where we saw Galactus, the 616 Galactus, pop up in the Ultimate Universe. Um, and it's rumored to be maybe the end of the Ultimate Universe as we know it uh, right now. You can see more about that in uh, one of our shop talk segments uh, <laughs> on TalkingComicBooks.com. But I break, I break it down for you. You do. Um, <laughs> Expertly, too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, first thing about Hunger, I want to say, uh, well, the, we got to do Hunger at the end of Age of Ultron by seeing Miles Morales, you know, and that's that universe of Spider-Man running into him. So I kind of expected that's how this book was going to start, and that's not how it starts at all. It starts with another character. Um, Rick Jones. Rick Jones, yeah. Bitch. Our Rick Jones or their Rick 616, Jones? 616. Sorry, Ultimate Universe Rick okay. Jones. So it's different. And, and the, uh and here's here's the first thing about hunger that I think is a little bit troublesome a, a, as a, a sort the sort of mini event uh, that that it, it is right now. First of all, it's not billed anywhere as an ultimate universe event. It, it, it there's nothing on it that says ultimate comics anything. It's just hunger. It looks like it's in the six point six mm-hmm. Marvel universe. So picking it up, there isn't really. Uh, a immediately easy way for a, a reader who's not reading Ultimate Universe books to understand what quite is going on. They give you an explanation of who Rick Jones is and what he's doing, but I feel like thrown into a character you don't know with very little backup, it's tough to get get into it. Um, people who are probably reading the Ultimates and that universe for a while now probably don't have that problem, but just for me personally, it was tough to get an in on it right away because even though I kind of liked the character, I thought he was kind of funny, I thought he did some cool stuff, it, it, I did not connect with it immediately, nor did I connect to the bigger events that were happening. Um, so uh, that, I think, was a little of an issue. Um, I think the writing by Falcon is solid. I know we, we got... It's funny, this is one of those books, we got some feedback from listeners, and people either absolutely hated it, or they loved it. Hmm. There wasn't a lot of in-between... Uh, reaction to it, but my reaction is sort of in between. I just I I think that it was some good writing with with some cool prospects, but you know the, I di- I didn't it didn't make me go okay I want to read the next issue right now because when we get to the end of this issue I kind of feel like we're behind even where we were at the end of Age of Ultron like when we see Galactus at the end of Age of Ultron I feel like we're in one place and I feel like this is almost before that happened. So it, it's a little bit weird in that way. And, you know, it, they can't expect everyone over Age of Ultron, nor should they. It should be its own thing. But those two things feel a little bit incongruous with w- what's going on. Uh, however, I will say I think the art by Leonard Kirk was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really love the art. Even despite this, the cover image, which looks like a blown-up, pixelated version of Galactus <laughs> on the cover of, of, of the issue, I think the art... Uh, by Leonard Cook is fantastic, um, and so are the uh, the colors by uh, I'm gonna say it's Jesus Ar- Arbatov. Um, really great co- uh, colors there. Uh, so yeah, I thought it, I, I thought that was the really the the best part about it. Um, I'll probably read issue two. I'm almost definitely read issue two, but I wasn't um, captured by it. Steve, what did you think of it? I remember. I remember laughing. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that it was really pretty, mm-hmm. but I don't remember feeling much for it beyond that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you said, where instead of it 
getting down to, to new business, I felt like we were kind of in like, you know, re- reiterating the minutes from last meeting mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, I do not know Rick Jones. While I thought Rick Jones was entertaining and I thought he was funny, mm. he was definitely funny. I definitely liked the dialogues, particularly coming from him. And I followed along just fine, but at the same time, I felt very uncomfortable mm-hmm. in in reading the book in that I just didn't I didn't as much as I've been there for everything that has led up to the to these moments mm-hmm. these moments still felt a little lost on me and for for number 1 and for people just coming into the situation maybe they didn't want to spend all the money on Age of Ultron and hope to just maybe ca- be caught up in you know what's now the aftermath mm-hmm. books uh, I think it failed mm-hmm. on that front. Uh, there's no, there's not saying that it won't get better, but that delay that we just heard about certainly isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. And I, I just hope that it's worth people's time and people's money, and that it amounts to something that's going to contribute to the overall story, and it will be, it will be important to have read it. I'm a little tired of, of I know it's a, it's a choice, but of trying to be as, as informed on these big events as possible and finding that I'm just throwing a lot of money away on either filler or things that I I've already known kind of like the what if AVX mm-hmm. you know where it was just like three pages of of new content mm-hmm. uh and otherwise if it was three pages it was like it was like three panels of new right. content Right, it was it was a big disappointment. I mean, hunger hunger definitely delivered above that. Oh yeah. By, yeah absolutely. Yeah. By all means, but it was very I I enjoy the artist, particularly the colors. I'm glad you mm-hmm. mentioned um, the person who did the colors. It was very pretty, mm-hmm. and I like the the cosmos kind of stuff. And I'm interested in seeing where Galactus is at uh, in the Marvel universe right now. And that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. That if if he's if it is true and he does do away with the Ultimate Universe, I definitely want to be there for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. um, it's a major shift. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I just hope it's it's a okay comic book. I just, for what it's supposed to stand for, which is maybe, at least, if nothing else, drastically changing something that's been around for about 15 years mm-hmm. now, I guess, or something like that. Well, it's like having Coke and Pepsi and then saying that one of them isn't going to be around anymore. Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's more like, that, that'd that be more Marvel it's and DC. It's totally like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying, you know, I don't know. Vanilla Coke won't be around anymore, but it's. I love Vanilla Coke. But I'm just saying, I mean, you know, it's it's a newer product. And uh, I hope it I hope it lives up to that um, to 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 that legacy at least, because I I that universe for whatever you know, however it's declined as far as sales go in the last couple of years, brought a lot of new things to the table, and a lot of the cinematic universe that we laud so much takes a lot of its cues from that, that world. I wonder if it would almost be behoove them to put on the cover, like, if they are planning, if that's the plan, to do away with the Ultimate Universe, but like, the lead up to the end of the ultimate universe. Yeah, but yeah, let's see. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good idea. The beginning I mean, of the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we get like if that's what it is, and everybody kind of knows it already, mm-hmm. and we get five or six issues into this mini or whatever the hell it's going to be, and then it's like, oh, well, guess what? Mm-hmm. Everybody was right, and if you want to see the end of the ultimate universe, you're going to want to check out Hunger one through five. Yeah, just tell us that that's what you're doing with this book, and I guarantee you mm-hmm. that you'll get a lot more readers. Mm-hmm. 
You're, you're probably you're absolutely right. Uh, why people? Why leave people in the dark when there's already a nightlight on? Unless that's it. not <laughs> what they're planning on doing. Unless it's going to be a lot less drastic than that. Unless they're just going to be kind of rebooting or reformatting the universe and moving on. And they're not. He just kind of chews on it a little bit. Yeah, and he spits, <laughs> spits it out. <laughs> yeah, they hit the reset button on it. Um, but uh, my book of the week, and we talk about this book all the time, so we won't spend that much time talking about it. But uh, the Hawkeye Annual Number One, which is a completely uh, Kate Bishop centric story, um, follows her to California, which we saw at the end of the Pizza Dog issue. Um, and we didn't. Even, I mean, we didn't really even talk about mm. the Hawkeye issue. From the, I guess the week before or whatever it was, mm-hmm. it was very close to this issue with his brother, which Good was old Barney, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, very different uh, take on that story, but also great. Uh, this annual was just fantastic stuff. I mean, we get again. This is the thing. Fraction is sneakily building a universe and building a continuity in, in this Hawkeye world, and we get a callback to the two issue arc that came. I think it was early. It was like five and six or something yeah. like that. The tape. Yeah, the tape uh, mini arc that we got. We call back to that. Um, and we also get it really the first time in the series get into the background of Kate a little bit more and where she comes from and who she is because I didn't know. You know, I, I didn't know that she came from a rich family and blah, 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 all that stuff. So that was very, very cool to see. And she's becoming one of my favorite characters. So it, it was great to get more in her head. And... We get to see how scrappy and resourceful she is, just as we've seen in Hawkeye. But with this totally focused on her, uh, I think it took it to a, a, a another level. And uh, um, what do you think, Bob? Oh, I love this. It's mm-hmm. it's first thing is is Javier Polito. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. Every artist they've had on this book has sort of been Aja esque, but yeah. not yeah a copy. Everyone's themselves, but it's all been in keeping with this tone. This is a super 60s mashup this is a beach movie a spy movie an ocean's 11 movie Mm -hmm. uh we get madame mask who's just really great Mm -hmm. in this uh, chilling and horrid and yet funny at the same time Mm -hmm. yeah uh seeing the parents have have we seen any of her in young avengers or any avengers academy maybe where was she before young yeah young avengers i have not in this new run and i haven't read all the old runs i don't know how much we've gotten her in the past but she has a, a contentious relationship with the stepmom, yeah. certainly. And that plays into where she wants to be her own person. We now mm-hmm. know why she's a little mm-hmm. snippy here and there with, with Clint, as she, especially as she walks out the door. Did you have all that stuff here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't take my dog. You're not my girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just There's absolutely wonderful. Kate really finds a new voice. She is on her own, mm-hmm. has to solve a mystery that has already been solved from the other side in essence that, that Whitney Frost Madame S sort of knows her but then well she knows that I know that she knows that yeah. I know it's yeah, just, yeah. just so so clever love love the page layouts love the balloons just love everything about this mm-hmm. and uh, annual this should be every month <laughs> yeah. extra pages of Hawkeye not a problem the cool thing about all of the artists that they've chosen for Hawkeye is not that I don't even think like, you look at Polito's stuff next to Aja stuff, and they're there's really they they're totally different. But the thing about them that's great is that they're all um, unique art styles. It, 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 none of it is standard looking stuff, and that's the way it should be because the Hawkeye its inception is not to look like everything mm-hmm. else looks. Um, 
it's similar to what they do, you know, uh, on the FF title, which is when, even all reds on there when like Quinones is doing the yeah. the fill-in art. He's not doing his usual style. He's doing kind of an all red almost impression while still re- re- retaining, you know, a lot of merits in his own right doing that too. And these aren't impressions at all. They've been free to do what they want to do. But you know, the the little you know. Uh, the little thought boxes, the captions, yes. the captions oh, that oh, have like the little almost like peanuts like drawings of the characters part. in them are really cool. You don't see that everywhere else. That's that, that's not a David Aja mm-hmm. thing, but that, that, nope. that's definitely a, you, that's like okay, that's Hawkeye. You know, you you, you see that right away, uh, and the style has remained consistently through. You know, we we're we're on a year now, basically this book being out, and there really hasn't been an issue, a downer issue in the entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's great to see that. Steve, do you want to add anything to our Hawkeye discussion? I love the little bubbles, mm-hmm. the little boxes that come up with the, you, know, you said the Peanuts-like expressions. Yeah, yeah. So much fun. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly, I mean, Hawkeye, since the start, has just been such a joy to read. It's been creative, some of the best art, mm-hmm. some of the best writing, some of the best story that we've gotten all year long. And it's really cool that even though that Kate's been, you know, a part of the, the Hawkeye world for the past year, that she can carry her own book Mm. and even to have it play into events that happened maybe a couple of months back to recall that and have it make complete and total sense. And for it to also be the trigger is to me just really, really smart writing mm-hmm. and uh, just so much fun. I, I really got a kick out of it. And the art was phenomenal, very cool. There's, there's, there's a couple of, not too many books that can really transport you mentally through art to almost like a different era. Mm-hmm. And I get a very like Austin Powers yeah. kind mm-hmm. of era vibe, mm-hmm. kind of, especially from, from this issue in particular. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, how many other great things can we say about Hawkeye? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then talking about that issue that came out a few weeks ago, uh, it's, you know, Frank Avilia is the artist on that, and very different, obviously, and Polito, very different than Aja, but again, that same still kind of like emotional uh, core to it, with with also still being really, really funny and really ridiculous, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and it's a testament that we talk about it. We talk about it every time it comes out because it's that good every time it comes out, um, and that deserves to be lauded. So, yep. Yeah, so that's the Hawkeye Annual Number One Book of the Week, um, and that's it for our Book of the Week segment. Uh, we're gonna take a little break, and we're gonna come, come we're gonna come, a, come, a, come back <laughs> with our review of the Wolverine. We are going to be reviewing The Wolverine, uh, but before we actually review the movie, uh, a couple weeks ago we did a history of the Fantastic Four with Bob, uh, and you guys seem to really, really like it, and we are going to go forward, and I think we're going to do more of those history podcasts in the future. Uh, but for today, I figured, why don't we do a little mini history 
of Wolverine and kind of give some context to where he started, where the X-Men were before he showed up, and how we've gotten to this point right now where he's this kind of giant global movie star. But he's short. He's very he's short. Well, not the Hugh Jackman version of him. No, he's supposed to be 5'5". Five, so, five, a but, a, a yeah, tall, you know. dashing man when he is a Hugh Jackman version. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. He uh, certainly is. Yeah. Um, well, uh, to reiterate X-Men history a little bit here, we've always talked about, they were actually in very bad shape and were in reprints for about three years. Mm-hmm. They canceled after issue 66, but they, they loved the idea and kept the book running. And their editor-in-chief at that point, Roy Thomas, had sort of come up with an odd idea about maybe we need some real sort of violent sort of character, mm-hmm. something based on nature that we can use. And it just sort of sat a while. And they, along with Len Wein and John Romita Sr., who was art director of Marvel, they came up with the Wolverine, who looks quite different than <laughs> what, what we are now used to seeing. He's sort of in the yellow and blue outfit. Mm. Um, and he first debuted in Hulk 180 in November 1974. We're going way back in the last panel, just so he can fight with the Hulk and a giant mythical character called the Wendigo, mm. who would show up years later. Uh, <laughs> I love the Wendigo. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> just <Wendigo>. go. Yeah. <laughs> he must be uh, a favorite of yours. I mean, uh, was, being a Canadian by uh, choice. He was a boss <laughs> in the... X-Men arcade Yes, game. he was. Really? He, yeah, yes, he came he out of the cave. And, and, and screams all, that? Yeah, all he did right. was was move from side to side, swiping at, uh, at the players, just going, Wendigo! <laughs> well, he does that for two issues in the Hulk here. Um, uh, Hulk 181, he's the entire issue. He brawls with the Hulk, and uh, just, he made a big splash. Mm-hmm. And then there was just nothing really to do with it for that point. But then, you know, he's, of course, still the agent of the Canadian government sent out to fight the Hulk. And you can always do something with that. Well, a year or so goes by and they decide now it's time to relaunch the X-Men. So rather than do what they did before, they want to try to make this more international in tone. Uh, It's still Len Wein, but now it's Dave Cockrum who had come over from D.C., and two of the characters he had come up with for their legion of superheroes that never got used are Storm and Nightcrawler. And they added Cyclops from the old team. And they had this Wolverine character laying around. So mm-hmm. let's, let's just use him. Uh, now, there, there's dispute now whether Len Wein is saying were his claws on the gloves or that was his mm-hmm. adamantium stuff. But we had by this point sort of sorted it out. But it's a cover by Gil Kane, who created the Green Lantern's mm-hmm. classic outfit. And he had actually apparently misread some of the drawing specs that they had done on Wolverine before. Because this is for the first time you see the outfit with the long spikes on his yeah, mask. Yeah. And now he's, well, he's obviously Wolverine, because he didn't look like that before. He had sort of a Captain America mask mm. that looked really odd. But now he's part of this international team. And the first time you see him, you get the snicked. He pulls the, the, the claws come... Uh, scrolling out and for those who are reading Wolverine and the X-Men this issue Giant Size X-Men 1 is the first time you've seen Krakoa the Living Island which now is their oh, playground nice. in the school he what it is Professor X has lost all his X-Men to this mutant island so he's recruiting other mutants and he goes to the Canadian government and says well you know we know this guy and he, Logan shows up though we don't know him by name yet and I know of your fight with the Hulk. Well, sure, he's Professor X. He knows everything. Uh, so would you like to be a free agent and tell these guys to go take a hike? Which he does. He rips a guy's shirt apart and goes, I'm out of here. I don't need any of this. Uh, 
he does very well, and then it's just uh, an issue, you know, a couple of months later, then it's X-Men 94 picking up the numbering from where they were with the reprints. And now um, it's Chris Claremont, who has a whole different take on Wolverine. He's a little bit more violent. Um, everyone leaves from the original team. They've recaptured them, but they're, they're all gone. So now it's just these guys. Through this whole period, though, Wolverine sometimes doesn't even appear in the issues. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything. He's standing in the background. He's actually short in the background. You see him through <laughs> people's armpits. Uh, Dave Cockrum loved who his characters were. So you see tons of Nightcrawler. Matter of fact, at one point, John Byrne was saying years later, might as well have called the book Nightcrawler and the X Men. Mm. <laughs> uh, but he's a fun character and swashbuckler and interesting powers and whatever. And Wolverine was, was being shunted to the background. And uh, uh, eventually Cockrum left and Byrne took over and discovered at that point that they were going to, if the book had gone on any longer with Dave Cockrum, Wolverine would have been out of the, out of the team entirely. Hmm. Uh, they were going to find some way to get rid of him because they just didn't see any potential to what he was doing. And Byrne, as a Canadian, said, no. <laughs> no, we don't have any Canadian characters in comic books. We're keeping Wolverine and we'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Byrne always thought of him as a sort of a homicidal maniac barely under control, a ticking time bomb that you could keep ticking forever. And that sort of split between Willie or Rooney always adds tension that you could always count on using whenever you needed it. He and Claremont had disagreements with that, but eventually Byrne ended up as um, co-scriptor. And that turned into issues with Shooter over Mm -hmm. Phoenix and a few other things. But in the case of Wolverine particularly, uh, John always said that to him the perfect Wolverine scene was this. It opens up, you're in the kitchen of the mansion, Wolverine's sitting eating his Cheerios. <laughs> Kitty walks in, says good morning in just the wrong tone of voice. You cut away, you cut back, Scott walks into the room, Kitty's laying disemboweled on the floor while Wolverine eats his Cheerios as if <laughs> nothing ever happened. <laughs> because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's not under any control. It's not a conscious thought. It's mm. just that thing. Mm. Uh, Shooter eventually would say, no, he not only doesn't Wolverine kill, he's never killed, ever. What? <laughs> Despite the fact there are issues before that showing him, frankly, you know, uh, the first time they showed it, they didn't show it. He, they're in the Savage Land after the uh, uh, everything's gone very horribly wrong in a battle with Magneto. They, the team ends up split into two parts because of the, the cataclysm. Each side thinks the other's gone. They're dead. They end up in the Savage Land with the dinosaurs and Sauron and all mm. the rest of it. And to get into this place, Wolverine, for the first time, you actually see him kill a human being. Mm. They do it off screen. He mm. walks up. Well, there's only one way in here. He climbs this rock ledge, gets to it. You cut to a shot of Nightcrawler looking stunned when you hear this sort of mm-hmm. sound as a little sound effect when they used to do those sort of things. Uh, but that's how they, they pull this character. I mean, Byrne figured he saved him from oblivion. Mm. And all of a sudden, as they start adding layers to him, the little bit of the mysteries that get pulled away, you'd see James Hudson from Alpha Flight, who we worked with the government. You'd see him feel for things. He meets Mariko, who we see mm. in, in, in the movie, uh, when they get back from that Savage Land adventure. And now he has heart. He's giving her flowers. He's, mm. he's sort of changing. And he and Claremont now moved him into the, a place of prominence. And that really takes complete hold for everybody in the issues uh, right around the Phoenix Saga. Mm-hmm. which is 129 when you introduce Kitty Pride, And in this one particularly, uh, it's Uncanny X-Men 132, where uh, Sebastian Shaw, they've, they've stuck him through the, the, the... Controls gravity. Wolverine ends up in the basement. He's in the sewer. 
And there's this shot that's very famous that everyone's always seen. It's Wolverine in the sewer, uh, covered in muck and mire, mm -hmm. light gleaming off his claws. Yeah. Okay, sucker, you've taken your best shot. Now it's my turn. Ah, <laughs> uh, you got to see what the next issue is going to be from that, right, kids? You know. So <laughs> what he ends up doing the next issue is basically gutting every Hellfire Club goon you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Just ripping them to shreds. Nice. Mm. But of course, they made sure, and this is, you know, 1980 or so, all the panels where bad things are happening, colored red. <laughs> so you can't see that there's really bad things going on, except, well, you know, I'm sorry. If you run adamantium claws from the top of someone's sternum to his navel, <laughs> and his uniform has gotten cut open, uh, he's dead. So is this the beginning of, like... The Wolverine. The ascension of, yeah. of the character? Yeah. The character would have been gone completely mm -hmm. by probably issue 110. Mm -hmm. And with Byrne and Claremont, they decided, no, you know, we've got something here. Let's work on it. And once it started, mm -hmm. it just flew like mm -hmm. crazy. When you get to finally the death of Phoenix, Scott leaves, Wolverine's mm -hmm. more in control. You get to issue... Uh, Issues 118 to 120, you have Mariko, you've got that side story. You mm. bring her in again in 123, and then 143, which is actually Burns' last issue, you're into a situation where he brings her home to meet the family, which is <laughs> Charles and the mutants and whatever. And that would end up being uh, Burns' last issue. And actually, uh, Claremont in the letter pages has a little, one of those little yellow boxes, mm. and he, he announces it. And we talked about this off the air. It's very funny as I'm looking through the issue. In that issue is a letter from Kurt Buzek. Who was then a fan, mm -hmm. complaining that the book has been a perversion for the last two years, and he's <laughs> quitting. They have lost a reader. Oh and, wow! And Claremont responds saying, "You know, we we do these books because we're we're really trying to put out the best books we can, mm -hmm. and it's it's to our taste certainly, but we hope it's yours, and maybe we can do better next time." <laughs> um, as as Byrne goes off the book, we we then. The momentum had gotten so great for Wolverine that mm. that's when the, it really takes off with the miniseries, which mm. is it's still Chris Claremont and then it's Frank Miller. Yeah. And it, I'd say it's what the movie is based on, except mm. it's not. Yeah. <laughs> except for one little bit. It does have a bear. It does have a bear. It has a bear and Japan. Mm -hmm. And it's two things that it takes from the, the miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was a huge, huge hit, and mm. that actually then informs the sales of the X-Men. It really boosts it like mad. I mean, they were selling reasonably good numbers. For them, uh, again, it had come off the scrap heap. It was mm -hmm. a book that had been canceled. It had moved into the maybe the early twos, mm -hmm. two hundred thousands or so. The Wolverine thing put it above four, mm -hmm. which, when you think now, that's you know four times what a, yeah. what, a what a big selling book is. Yeah. Uh, the miniseries again, it, it cemented people into people's mind what Wolverine was, mm -hmm. but it really wasn't. Is was what Claremont didn't like this homicidal maniac thing, so he basically went in the complete opposite direction. I mean, as far a field on the spectrum from homicidal maniac is samurai. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. So we start to move those values into it. And you get Kitty Pride and Wolverine after that. And then the, mini, uh, the miniseries transform into him finally having his own solo series, mm -hmm. which is still Chris Claremont. Who, you know, as we talk about Hugh Jackman playing mm -hmm. this six times. Well, mm -hmm. five in a minute. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Claremont just keeps writing Wolverine. Yeah. And he, he writes it really, really well. Uh, and that was with John Buscema, who mm. drew a spectacular Wolverine. If you've seen his Avengers work, just muscular but never overblown. Very often now Wolverine is, is sort of drawn like Schwarzenegger with claws. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he really isn't. And it's just that last at 189 issues. Mm -hmm. 
which is a heck of a run. You don't see that much. Then Weapon X follows after that. It's Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, which we both read. The Barry oh, Windsor God, Smith. That's, yeah. that's my favorite Wolverine story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and that was in 12 issues of Marvel Comics Presents. Mm. Wow. Which has now been collected, hardcover mm. yeah, yeah, archives, yeah. everything yeah. else. Barry Windsor Smith was a Kirby clone who actually drew X-Men years before. Mm-hmm. Uh, did even things like, uh, sorry, did Conan, most mm-hmm. famously, but did Avengers, did all the team books. He was sort of the Perez before Perez. Mm-hmm. This sort of square art, but drew mm-hmm. a million characters and drew, yeah. drew them all well. And that's a great miniseries. That's where you start to learn the backstory right, yeah. in little bits and pieces, which in some ways is good and some bad. Mm-hmm. When he was the mysterious, you didn't even know what his name was, and then sort of blurt out Logan to mm-hmm. James Hudson, or that he told it to Mariko. Is mm-hmm. oh, wow, look at these guys are real romantic. <laughs> Guts is her father in front of her, but you know what the heck? Yeah. Um, For one, you, darling. Yeah, here's a flower to, to commemorate the moment by while your dad. You're talking about the book, in right? In the, in the book, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so from there, obviously, we we've we've gone to where we are. Now, in a lot of yes. ways, yeah. I mean, there's been kind of uninterrupted uh, reign of supremacy for that character for a, a very, very uh, long time. Basically, twenty years. Yeah, um, and which, uh, and I think a lot of you know, obviously, boomed by fact from our generation from the animated series, Absolutely. where he was a standout character there, and then rolling right into the film series, where obviously his character became the standout almost immediately uh, in X Men, X Men Two, X Men Three. Mm-hmm. And and so on and so forth. Um, and now, obviously, this week we have the Wolverine, which opened. <clears throat> um, Hugh Jackman, as we said, it, his his fifth full length uh, yeah. time as the character, and now going on for, uh, you know, fourteen, fifteen years now. He's been playing, you know, oh, that yeah, character that around there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, which is pretty crazy. And this movie uh, takes place after X Men: The Last Stand. Um, dealing with a very much dealing with a fallout from that and taking Wolverine on a solo uh, personal adventure to Japan uh, where you know he meets uh, Mariko Mariko and and goes through uh, a kind of personal uh, discovery journey uh, and you know again like all movie reviews we do at talking comics, uh, we're going to do a, a large section, just general impressions of the film, and then a section on spoilers. Something tells me we're not going to do a, a giant section on spoilers here because there's not a lot to spoil as far as, you know, generally like the big, huge plot points. There's a few of them, and we'll talk about those absolutely, but we'll start off with our general impressions. Uh, Stephanie, you reviewed the movie uh, for the site. Uh, why don't you tell the folks at home what you thought of it? Sure. Um, right off the bat, it's the Wolverine film that we should have been given like Mm -hmm. origins be damned. (laughs) Um, And for those of you who haven't seen it, I wrote up a review for it and uh, you can see this without having seen origins. It helps if you've seen like the X-Men films, Yeah, Yeah. but you definitely like origins doesn't exist as far (laughs) as this movie is concerned, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Um, And uh, it wasn't my favorite comic book movie of all time. But it was Wolverine done properly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in his element. I liked the story. I liked the characters. Um, I liked that the women were like badass too. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got like a knife master. And again, I won't spoil anything, but like, and we've got like a chick that's just a ninja. <laughs> 
Yes, she and, is. And um, what's her name? Ryla Fukushima, who plays Yukio. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she, she's only been in like one other film ever, and I thought she did an outstanding job. Yeah, she was great. Um, she's really bizarre looking. She kind of looks a bit like a goldfish. <laughs> wow. She looks but, like a Bratz doll a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. She's mm. like all eyes and hair. Mm-hmm. But An she's so badass. To life. Yeah, very what? much. An anime character come to life. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But she was great. Um, I thought that it was really well done. The story is a bit slow at times, and there's not quite as much action as you would expect, but it's pretty well paced throughout the movie, and the scenes are cool, and uh, if you've seen the trailers, you've seen, you know, uh, Logan or Wolverine fighting on, you know, a train, mm-hmm. the bullet train in Japan. And um, I enjoyed it. There's not like a whole lot to say. I think my only qualms with it really were kind of um, Mariko and Logan's love story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't, again, spoil anything, but he's she's supposed to be like the love of one of the loves of his life. And it was just a bit underwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. But the characters themselves individually were fantastic, and aside from um, that little issue of their story, you know, that's supposed to be like, bah! the rest of it was pretty good. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. Cool. And the, and again, without spoiling anything, that scene after the credits. Oh god, guys, yeah. stay after the credits because if you yeah. don't, you suck. Yeah, sit in the middle of the credits. Yeah, you don't have to well, wait yeah. through the five minutes of Japanese that's credits. True. Yeah, yeah, um, which I did. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you gotta be safe. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I did, uh, I did say two, and there's nothing after like the end of everything. But. Yeah. I I uh I was I just saw it re- uh, the other day, and I was with my friend Jeff, and he uh, he was like, "Is there something in the credits?" He's like, "There's something between the credits, but nothing at the end of the credits." He's like, "Man, you really need like a scouting report before you go see movies now to know what to do." And I was, mm-hmm. I did have a scouting report. Bob emailed me the other day and told <laughs> me that there was something at the end of the credits, so I knew. It's like not it's like Pacific Rim. How Pacific Rim had that sort of like. Two minutes in, not even like the kind of cutscene to something else. Mm, right. Um, so, Bob, general impressions of the Wolverine. I also really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the plot is a little light on subplot and mm-hmm. some of the other things, it, but the straightforward version of what it is works very well. I think it's a wonderful movie about love, honor, courage, mm-hmm. uh, commitment. Uh, the one thing I'll say, Steph, in the original miniseries, uh, even in the books themselves, Wolverine falls hard and quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does replicate some of that, but it, I think it played much better on the printed page than it does here. It does mm-hmm. seem yeah. a little sudden. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I, I don't doubt the whole sudden, quickly, passionate thing, but they just had no chemistry. Like, she hated him and then, like, ignored him and was like, weird foreigner. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> What? Why are the what? It's waka waka time. <laughs> what? She sees his inner beauty. Yeah. Does she? Yes, yeah, she does. Because I don't feel like she does. Yeah. Well, I think she must. Do, do we really need to struggle to see inner beauty for a movie star like Hugh Jackman? It's true. It's true. When he looks I mean, I don't have like I, mean, I get man, it, yeah. but yeah. He doesn't look like, by the time they do the boom boom, he doesn't look like a caveman anymore. Do the boom no. boom. He, looks he like doesn't look like the outtakes from Les Mis. Yeah, that's right. He looks like he didn't walk off the yeah, set. He's gotten that nice little bath. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you get some nice action sequences. The bullet train plays much better in the movie than it did in the trailer. Yeah, which I think is a general consensus for the entire movie. plays mm-hmm. much better than its trailer, I think. Um, yeah, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, the ninja fight sequence where he gets 
shot a mm. million times mm. is, is really striking visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoyed that. James Mangold, who uh, hasn't done a whole lot of things in this vein, right? Not in this vein, no. I mean, he's done some stuff. Uh, Girl Interrupted, I guess, is the biggest. Was well, yeah, yeah, but he also did... Uh, 310 to Yuma. 310 to Yuma, the okay. remake, of the, which is great. It's a great remake. He did Walk the Line, which obviously is not an action movie, but he's done some big stuff. He also did that bad Tom Cruise uh, uh, night and day. Night and day, yeah. The, uh, oh, so this is his apology for that yeah. one, maybe. <laughs> Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. Yeah. After uh, you said "girl interrupted," though, all I can think of is like Logan in the mental hospital as Angelina Jolie. Put a pen to his neck. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna have to watch that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, to me, this was a really solid piece of entertainment, way beyond what I thought. I was hopeful going in and i was more than entertained mm. than i thought starting mm-hmm. and that you don't get that much anymore we're more, so often let down yeah. to, to be lifted up by something mm. yeah 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 i, I totally had low expectations of it and like i think out of all we we talked about it when the trailer came out and i think you guys were all pretty excited and i don't know i felt pretty meh about the whole mm. thing from the trailer but i was pleasantly surprised mm. yeah steve what do you think of it um, well, I was not excited about mm. it when it was, uh, even when it was announced or the trailers, I felt if anything, there were two different trailers. The, the initial trailer that we watched, there was the international and then there was the regular, mm-hmm. uh, did absolutely zero for me at all. Uh, and then they had a, I guess a secondary trailer that showed a little bit more of, I guess, some of the surprises mm-hmm. that were to come, let you know that there would be other mutants in mm-hmm. the, in the film and even characters you didn't expect uh, show up. But uh, I am happy to say that I really enjoyed myself with the movie. I have a couple of hang-ups about little nitpicky things, mm-hmm. but overall, uh, I was very entertained throughout the whole thing. I wasn't, I wasn't bored. I wasn't... It kind of... It felt a little bit long in the middle, just as they were... My, my only issue really is kind of what stephanie was saying with the the love story aspect i just i did not feel that connection Mm -hmm. between those two characters i felt that what ends up happening when they are you know together physically i felt that it was just more of like okay now it's the time in the movie where you know we've gone through three quarters of the adventure this is supposed to happen mm-hmm. and then we can get ready for, you know, the finale or the mm-hmm. final act kind of thing. Uh, not, I mean, I don't know, but the positives about it though, uh, I laughed, mm-hmm. I laughed a lot and I felt like Hugh Jackman's portrayal of Wolverine, even though he has been the Wolverine for a very mm-hmm. long time, this was the first time that I really, really enjoyed him as the character and felt like there was a lot more of what I've been reading over the past two years. There was a lot more of that reflected in the character this time out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got kind of like that gruff snark to him, but at the same time, he's got a lot of heart. You know, you have uh, a very emotional scene in the very beginning of the film. Then you have kind of uh, Logan getting involved and maybe sticking his nose in where it doesn't belong. And that leads into the introduction of a very, very cool character. Um, what was her? Yukio? Yukio? Yukio. Yukio. Yeah, she was She was great. Mm-hmm. I she... totally just thought her name was Yu-Gi-Oh when they first said it. <laughs> just 
Sorry. Random tidbit. (laughs) Carry on. Um, she had a very much, I was, I was kind of a little, I had to get used to her on screen. Um, she has a very much an, like an odd beauty to Mm -hmm. her that once I kind of settled into her, her features and whatnot, she's really quite striking and Mm -hmm. she's, she's very talented and very good. Now, have Um, you read the mini? No, I haven't. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because she's got a thing for Wolverine. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I went into But she this. sort of plays that here. Yeah. That they don't ever say it. But yeah, she, right. she, she's looking at him in yeah. that way like, oh, yeah, yeah. we could. Yeah. I really, like, they don't ever say it. And I thought there was going to be a love triangle thing because, like, yeah. I felt like she had more of a connection. Like, they showed more of an emotional mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. through her than yeah. they did Mariko. Yeah. Well, I liked that she, her whole thing was, you know, I'm going to be your bodyguard. Since when yeah. the hell does Wolverine need a bodyguard? Well, he does in this movie for certain reasons. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, overall, general impressions, I, if I had to, are we doing any rankings at all? We can, we can if you want to. There's, um, no, there's no format. <laughs> I would, I like I said, it was my favorite time of seeing Wolverine. Um, I would say that definitely out of the Fox mm-hmm. uh, library of X films, with the exception of First Class, this is probably my fi- my second favorite X film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the way it was shot. I I loved 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 having Japan as a backdrop. Yeah, it was cool. It was it, the Japan thing is awesome because they get to they get to go they go from one area which is this feudal looking ancient area, and then the next second they're in this bustling metropolis. Yeah, right. It was very visually interesting. Um, and even though some of the, I guess some of the politics of the movie were a little convoluted, mm. it still stayed pretty grounded. It still mm. stayed like on, on point and on the mission of telling the story. It didn't, I mean, there were a couple of outside factors that I was kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. Like I was kind of wondering what the motivation of some of these other characters and people were mm-hmm. in this whole thing. Um, but, and then we'll get, and when spoilers yeah. come in, we'll get into one other thing. But beyond that, uh, really, really fun. Definitely, definitely worth uh, going to check out. I know that so many people, and with good reason, are very trepidatious mm-hmm. about it because of Origins, because of The Last Stand. Uh, this deals with the events of The Last Stand in a very gratifying manner mm-hmm. that even though it's just a, a a part of the fallout from that movie, it's it's pretty much the only part that really mattered mm-hmm. at the end of that piece of crap. And it expands upon it in a very mm-hmm. um, emotional and cerebral manner that kind of fuels this journey of his in one way or another. And some really like introspective stuff from the Wolverine character is very cool. Yeah, uh, I, I I really kind of loved it, and you know, for me, all the things you guys have been saying hold very true. Um, I, I think that I think Jackman nails it, you know, and not that I wasn't expecting him to, but after what was the last two, uh, you know, Wolverine featuring X Men films, it. it was something I was excited for, but still was like Steve said, trepidatious of what was to come. Cause I had been let down. This is a good director. It's good writers. I trust the star, but what I had seen previously did not give me a lot of faith. The first thing off I'll say is that what gives it, a, gives it head and shoulders above X-Men origins, Wolverine and X-Men origins. Wolverine has a ton of problems. 
chief among them to me, though, is the fact that it's not even really a solo Wolverine movie. It's just another X-Men movie with a bunch of X-Men you don't care about. You know, th- yeah. that's really what it is. Um, and and, and it, that movie was overstuffed and overfilled with too many characters. And if you're going to do a movie just about Wolverine, then it should just be about Wolverine. If you want to do another X-Men movie, do another X-Men movie and use X-Men that we care about and do a movie that, you know, benefits from all of those things that right. you can use. Right. They left it to, to Sabretooth. Yeah. He had Liv Schreiber. That would have yeah. really worked. That dynamic yeah. worked in the film itself. But, yeah, you know, the blob. The blob, all those things. <laughs> you, you know, regardless, regardless what you think of Deadpool, sewing his mouth shut is like one of the most ridiculous things in the entire world. So, yeah. all those, that movie makes a lot of bad choices. What this movie does immediately is it strips it all away and, in a lot of ways, takes you back, especially in that first scene to X Men 1 days where he's in the wilderness by himself doing his thing. And. You, you strip away all of these other distracting characters and you just it on him taking a very personal journey to do something. Um, and, and so it makes sense that he is separated from the rest of the X-Men. It makes sense why he would um, be uh, uh, you know uh, unwilling or unable to contact people who could help him. And it, it also gets to get to the core of what makes him heroic, which is the fact that even without, and this is no spoiler because we've seen this in the trailers, even without his healing factor, he still continues to press on and try to save somebody, even though he himself is is in a lot of peril. Um, and I, I really, really, I, I loved, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff. Um, I love that the movie takes the character on a definite journey from one spot to another. It takes him, you know, from the place he is and the spot of place he is to another place, and it changes the character and makes him realize realize things. And very often, that's not stuff that happens in superhero movies. I mean, we we we, we reviewed Iron Man three earlier in, earlier in the year, and I loved that movie. And Stephanie brought up a good point about them not resolving the PTSD stuff that mm-hmm. that goes on in that movie. Here they they resolve a, a a character thing that's happening with this man, and I think that was a, a a very good choice. It's a simple choice when you think about it in terms of movies, but these kind of big genre movies they don't tend to do those kind of things. So I was happy about that. The love story I do agree is mediocre, you know. I, I, but to me, in the comic book movie form, there's probably been two or three, probably two really good love stories that I felt like were believable and they happened pretty much you know in the last two or three years which was the Captain America love story mm-hmm. which I think is very good not perfect but very good and then this amazing Spider-Man love story which yes. is the best part of that movie and really feels for the first time to me like they get a relationship right so even though it's not right here I wasn't really expecting it to be right and maybe that's just a bad lowered expectations kind of way to think about it but I got pretty much what I was expecting from, from the love story really really quickly speaking of Iron Man three, and then the Captain America thing. Mm-hmm. Just for everyone, there's a um, oh, a Peggy Carter short that's coming with the Iron Man three special features yeah, yeah, that was wow. like aired. Yeah, Agent Carter. So, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I no, was just off okay. topic, but you made me think of it really quickly. And I know that DVD is coming out. I'll have to watch well, that in a bit, but yeah, it's no. supposed to be amazing, and it aired in San Diego. And I know some people who went to check it out. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Yeah, anyways, no, seems, but I totally agree. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like love stories are one of those things where. I mean, they're not always going to be perfect, especially in an action-driven movie. A lot of the time, it's really just kind of fluff that's sort of, like, there to act as substance. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that their intention was to kind of give it a false substance, like a sort of, you know, whatever. But um, 
it just didn't feel like fully developed. And I don't know. It's not one of those things that takes away from the movie and makes it any worse. It was just one of those kind of things that they could have been improved upon. But yeah. Yeah, no. And, um, but as far as the action stuff went, there wasn't a ton of it, but what was there, I, I found to be really engaging. I thought the bullet train worked really, really well. There was some very cool moments, um, mm-hmm. especially on top of the train, yeah. um, which also showed kind of his, you know, his tactical ways of, of working. Don't know if the physics work. No, exactly, no, no. The physics it, definitely it's, don't it's work. It's very good. It's very fun to watch. Yeah. And I loved seeing him fight, like the ninjas and the samurai and, and, and the way that changed. Yeah. One thing very obvious, Wolverine, not very good at defense. He doesn't have very, much, very good defensive well, skills. He, he never had to be. I know. Which yeah. is just what you're saying about his courage, which you yeah. see now, which you couldn't mm. before. Again, in the comics, until recently, he had a healing factor. Mm-hmm. It has turned into, I said this to you before, and it's not even my original idea, he has a Looney Tunes factor now. You can basically drop him from Mars, <laughs> and he heals. <laughs> and now it's, oh, wow, he gets shot, and he grabs, and mm-hmm. oh, oh, what just happened? This yeah. isn't right. And, yeah. But he, as you say, he, he presses on. He's yeah. going to do the right thing because yeah. he is a hero, yeah. and that is really, really lovely to see. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the thing about, we talked about this when you were talking about the history is, listen, Wolverine kills a lot of people in this movie. He kills a lot of people. Yeah. None of them are good people, but he kills a lot of people. He killed a lot of ninjas. He did kill a lot of ninjas. He killed a lot of samurai. Um, It is is a PG-13 movie, properly rated to a point that cussing is a little much. He says shit a lot. Which is interesting. He says the yep. F-bomb twice, which I thought one was the limit for so, PG-13. No, I thought it was just one. one. They just say it once. He says he stops himself at one point. Like, it's implied that he says the F-word. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he only says it once he, the whole time. Yeah, yeah, but then they, like, I don't know if it's, like, a flash to another scene or a cut scene. But Maybe that's it. He doesn't so, actually say it, but it's implied. I'm, yeah, just, was a, the, I'm just a prude. That was, that was just so everybody oh, everybody that loved uh, First Class could squeal. Because it's the same yeah. line. It's the same exact yeah. line. Um, oh, and can I just say, like, I said at the beginning of the movie, I was like, if he says something like, I can smell it, I will die happy. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning of the movie, again, like, I, I swear to God, like, oh, I, t- it, it, I, I can die happy, basically. I totally just had a flashback. Um, right before the movie started, I saw my friend Chris and we saw a trailer for another Hugh Jackman movie. Did you see this with him? His daughters go missing. No. And they, it, um, the the person that was driving the van that steals little girls or supposedly did has like the intellect of a 10 year old, so on and so (laughs) forth. But this trailer was going on and on. I'm sitting next to my friend and all of a sudden he leans over to me and I was like, what's up? And he's like, this movie's so stupid. And I'm like, well, yeah, it really does look dumb. He's like, no, I don't get it. He's like, it's a Wolverine, right? He's like, well, it's Hugh Jackman. He's like, why can't he just smell him? (laughs) It's just like, I died in the theater. I was cracking up. People were like, shh. I'm like, yeah, yes. it was funny. That's exactly why I can't take the trailer for Gravity serious anymore. The Alfonso. Um, oh, I yes. Corone. Yeah. My friend Danny was sitting beside me during like Man of Steel and the preview for Gravity came on. And, she, and Sandra Bullock and George Clooney are in it. And mm-hmm. she leans over to me and she's like, it's Miss Congeniality Part 3. <laughs> and, like, I died, and now I can't watch the trailer without thinking that it's, like, you know. Miss Congeniality yeah. Part 3. Did you see three? the trailer for that movie? Uh, Paranoia. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well, oh, God, that movie looks <laughs> fucking horrible. 
That's the one with uh, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, cell phone genius and yeah. <laughs> playing dad against enemy. Oh god, it looks. Oh, it I had to watch it twice. It was so terrible. Um, but back to Wolverine. The, right. Yeah, um, sorry, violence sorry. level. I violence level. Uh, well, that movie, made, that trailer makes me violent. <laughs> I feel like everything is PG thirteen nowadays. Well, though. it is. Yeah, and every superhero movie is basically going to be that. Um, and uh, but, you know, but I feel like the violence. He kills a lot of people. A lot of it is, you know, it's very much. You see the claws. You see him stab, and you don't see where he stabs. You hear a sound. Also, there's stuff. He, yeah, there's no blood or anything. No, there's no blood. He does. He does his thing. Um, and uh, you know, I, the violence level doesn't bother me because that's what I feel like the Wolverine movie should mm-hmm. be. You know, I don't. I don't think he should be holding back. And he's pretty much done that same thing since we saw it in uh, X two, and in, in that scene in the school. So. Which actually, I think that scene had a lot more graphic stuff than even this movie did in, in, in a lot of those situations. Um, I liked how they layered in the other mutants where they didn't make a huge deal about it. They just existed. This is the world. They, they are here. I, I liked that stuff a lot. Um, and I do I do think it... I love Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I think it's his best take on the character. I think it has the most depth and the most layers. Absolutely. Um, he said Bub twice, which made me very happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he did feel more like a spring coil to me in this movie than he has in, in, in the other ones. Well, like, I know he produced the movie and he talked about how he loved the character and he wanted to be a part of this and he really pushed for this to happen because he was like, he didn't like, he wasn't happy with origins and he Mm. wanted like a final chance to kind of be like, all right, we need to make this right. We need to make Mm -hmm. this, you know, the Wolverine movie that we should have made in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy that it redeems itself because, you know, I mean, but (laughs) he just does such a good job with it. And apparently he like went to the rock for tips on getting buff. Oh, really? Like, (laughs) <laughs> called him up and was like, hey, how do you, you know, get all kinds of muscle mass and this mm-hmm. and this? And he trained, like, The Rock basically gave him all these pointers on how to get buff. He or must have smelled worked. what he was cooking. Because he was <laughs> buff. He was Smelling. In, in, yeah. yeah. He was insanely in shape in this movie. I love yeah. The Rock. <laughs> well, I did. You can see, like, his, like, crazy veins yeah. and stuff. When he was chopping, he's the scene where he's, like, chopping wood. Okay, yeah. I think he's really doing that. I think he's really chopping that giant. He has some tree. crazy veins yeah. going on. I in that feel arm. like not because no one can chop a tree like that. That's yeah. not real. That's not real. <laughs> but um, whatever. But uh, no, I, yeah. So, and as far as far as where it lies, like in the X Men movies, to me, um, you know, it didn't replicate the feeling I had leaving X Two because when I left X Two, it was incredibly jazzed, incredibly happy. But that was because that movie was really the first comic book movie that really was like, this is, look at all the comic book stuff we're doing. You know, Nightcrawlers, Bamfin, Wolverines, killing people, we're doing all this crazy stuff. It made me really happy. If you were to stack this movie against that movie, it's probably a better movie, you know, as far as, you know, fidelity of story and everything that's going like that. Um, so while it's not my favorite X-Men movie, I, it, it, I think it might be the, the best in, in like the X-Men universe. And I honestly probably liked it as much as I liked a movie, like, I probably liked it as much as I liked Thor. To be quite honest, did you like it as much? Did you like First Class or? Wolverine? I liked First Class a lot. I mean, uh, I have problems with the end of First Class um, mm-hmm. and the way it ends, and and uh, I think it goes off the rails a little bit as far as its characterizations uh, go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly, mostly with the people, not with the mutants. I, uh, but 
I really like that movie, and I'm very excited for Days of Future Past. Uh, but because this movie was small, and because it brought everything down, and because it was like one character, we're gonna do this. And you guys talked about the supporting cast already, which is awesome. Even mm-hmm. the ridiculous Russian lady whose name I can't pronounce, who played oh, like, yeah. Oh, Svetlana, yeah, well, yeah. something or other. Yeah, uh, uh, the Viper. <laughs> <laughs> she was great. She was. Cool. So I had a couple of people were actually tweeting me, and they were complaining about her. And uh, I I rather enjoyed her. I thought she was, she really was cool. wonderfully comic booky in what was a, otherwise a very grounded movie. I think she kept the idea that this is a comic book movie still. Like this is not mm-hmm. the super serious, you know, reflective. Like her films outfits too. Yeah, I love. She she changed a little too much. Very nitpicky, but she'd be like, "Oh, if we have this big thing going on. I got a little time. I'm going to change into this nice green dress and, <laughs> and get ready for the the events." Uh, but overall, I think it was incredibly solid, incredibly entertaining. I, I was I, I loved it from front to back. Uh, some problems with some of the way some stuff resolved, definitely not perfect. But we'll get to that when we talk about spoilers. Mm-hmm. But overall, really, really liked it. Um, pleasantly surprised. So I think it, that's for four of us. We're yeah, all yeah. Pleasantly surprised on what could have been a mess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So and uh, sorry, go ahead. And. Just super quickly. Tying it back, making our Orange is the New Black conversation relevant. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mendez, if you've seen Orange is the New Black, the cop, or like the one of the security guards at the prison, Mendez, mm-hmm. his half-brother is Leave Schreiber. Wow. <laughs> Who's tying it back in relevant? <laughs> nicely, nicely done. Yeah. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, IMDB, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's not even BuzzFeed, just, just y'all. In our head. Oh, BuzzFeed. Oh, BuzzFeed your, teaches me things. Stephanie's head. IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I love IMDb. Let's not make me like. I don't know. I got nothing. You don't. You, wow. she, she doesn't want to be in the controversial IMDb anti IMDb party. I love oh. IMDb. IMDb, IMDb is, is like my Bible. I don't like their new mobile uh, setup. All right. Though, well, let's, let's not get let's right on no, IMDb. No, no, no. I want to talk about this. I know you're talking about. I know you're talking about. <laughs> it's but it's very Apple designed the way that, the way they did it. Um, but uh, so we're gonna talk about spoilers. It'll probably be a pretty short uh, section about it. Just a couple of plot points. So if you haven't seen the Wolverine, you probably want to tune out probably the next fifteen minutes. Um, so starting right now. All right. So, what's some of the stuff we want to talk about that's in the spoiler territory? Bob, you want to start us out here? Well, should we go with the big one? With yeah, we'll go with the, the big the one. The claws. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, it's a famous moment from X-Men 25, in essence, where, where Magneto pulls the adamantium out of his body. In this case, it's part of a science experiment. They're looking for his bone marrow. Mm. So, we, we he's in some device and his hands are sticking out and they get him to get his claws out, which they then chop off Mm -hmm. and then drill into the adamantium to Mm -hmm. get to his bone marrow. And then he sticks out the bone claws, which look really weird, Mm -hmm. but it's a, it's a big moment for this character. It's Mm -hmm. a, it's a real change of things. And what do we all feel about this? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a little too reminiscent of, Origins. That's because it was a big part in that movie. Yeah. Obviously, the bone claw stuff. I don't really like the bone claw just because I don't like the visual of it. I don't mind the idea of it. I just think the visual of it is very weird. When he's stabbing it in, when he's stabbing the bone claws yeah. in to ca- to ca- climb up that yeah uh, whatever the, the wreckage. Well thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would bone really withstand sta- well his bone. I guess, but is that really that's how it works? Yeah, I mean it's his bone. I mean it's Wolverine. 
You know? Yeah. But it's his fingers, kind of. Wouldn't they kind of get snapped? Sort of, but not, not even really his fingers. I mean, it's not his finger bones, because his fingers still work when the claws I come out. I just always picture bone being so brittle that if well, he... Well, n- normal bone would be no, brittle. No, I know it's Wolverine. He's it's Wolverine. My, my problem with the, the whole transference thing is that even if they were to... And I, I do understand that it's a comic book movie, and you <laughs> have to suspend your disbelief, blah, blah, blah. But if... How the hell are you going to extract something that is genetically coded to who Wolverine is that even if you did take it from him, it would still exist within his person? You you could maybe borrow it from him. You could maybe extract it and use it for your own, but you would never actually be able to take it away from him. Well, what what I got the sense of the movie is that because when they break it up, he starts to be okay. The guy doesn't get automatically older when 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 they separate i think he's just gonna drain it until he dies right. and it, it'll be so he'll be so zapped that he won't mm-hmm. be able to recover in time and he'll die i think that's the point of it right. i don't think that it would completely take away his healing factor like forever i think that's the the false promise that the yoshida gives to him at the beginning that he'll get to live his normal life you know, but I don't think that's the case. I think he knows that he'll kill him if he takes it if he takes it from him. And he's being suppressed. His healing factor is suppressed by that squid on his heart. Yeah, yeah, that like yeah. nanotech thing or whatever. Love that mm-hmm. sequence of him operating on himself. Yeah, taking it out of his heart. Yeah, Ooh. Uh, makes everyone squeamish. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> very Prometheus. It was very Prometheus. Uh, yeah, him cutting it out of his heart was funny. I'm like, he's been through a lot worse stuff. He's gonna be fine. <laughs> yes, he gets, yeah, you know, when the, the cosmic force was burning the skin off his body constantly, I think he'll be able to take something out of his heart. But I mean, it. at the same time, like, I kind of wanted him to be holding his heart or something because she's like going on and on about how he's holding his heart. Yeah. Well, he and, was. Like, I mean, he is in theory holding his heart, but like in his chest, but I wanted him to be like, ah! And, like rip it off or something. Kali Ma. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, that probably wouldn't be particular. People would be like, "No way, this is bullshit." Yeah. But still, <laughs> might have been a little bit too harsh visually. Yeah. For PG thirteen. Yukio was never wrong. She's never wrong. No. She didn't say that he's holding his heart outside of his body, though. She just said he's he's holding his heart, and his heart isn't beating. Oh, whatever. That's so <laughs> completely true. That's the, the you, I you. I had the same visual in my head when she said it. But it factually, yeah. it, it works out. One of those kung fu theater movies from the seventies. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, I think that the Japanese dude Yoshida is a little bit of a dick. That's mm-hmm. my. That's mine. I come. It's all said and done. This guy saved your life. Give you another like seventy years of life, and you're still you still want to kill him when you, when you, when he comes back. I can't leave yet. I have things to do. Yeah. I have money to make. Yeah. I was a little bothered. I mean, this is such a... I'm going to say it off the bat. This is a stupid nitpick. But I was a little bothered. What was the the love interest's name? I can't... What was her name? Mariko? Mariko. Her unenthusiasm to inherit the Yoshida company, industry, property, whatever the hell it is. By the end of the movie, like, nothing's changed. And yet she's in this tremendous position of, of power by the end of the film, I just have to wonder what changed about her that she's actually going to make like well, worthwhile with well, it. It's, well, it's not, it's not about her. You know, she just didn't want it. It doesn't mean that she wasn't going to step up when she was named as the heir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She just didn't <laughs> want that power. And, you know, part of the whole movie is about her 
is like fleeing for her life because people don't want her in power of the company. Mm. And then in the end, you know, she still gets named and she needs to step the fuck up. <laughs> her unenthusiasm and either, like, you make bothered the me. best of a bad situation in which case her case was like you know he just didn't want that but mm-hmm. she's making it awesome well she <laughs> thinks that it's dishonorable to her father but then she figures out her father's a monster and then she also figures out her grandfather was a monster so her fiance ain't so hot either yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so she has a lot of issues going on and yeah. then she finds someone who could love her yeah. and like, you're right like, just... her dad sucks, her grandfather sucks, mm-hmm. her boyfriend sucks, mm-hmm. and her fiancé. They all fucking suck. Yeah. You're just going to stand there in your little red underwear? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved that line. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. Her um, life basically sums up dating in general. <laughs> Standing there in red underwear? No, just her life and, you oh, know. Oh, okay. They're all terrible. Steph, you, need a, you need a Wolverine, yeah. Steph. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't saying. I was just... It's just a statement. <laughs> um, That's what you should put on your profile yeah. thing. I need a Wolverine. Um, no, that'll just know. <laughs> what did we uh, think of the Silver Samurai at the end? I'm used to a much littler one mm-hmm. yeah. than that. Uh, it works in, in terms of the movie, but it didn't have to be the Silver Samurai. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you, not that you want to make that into a Sentinel or something, mm-hmm. so I guess they want to make sure they stayed away from that sort of classic robot look. Yeah. It works. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't expect the head to come off and him mm-hmm. to be inside alive. I would figured that was going to end us, but mm-hmm. it, it's a good battle. Yeah. I th- I thought that the uh, plot-wise, I felt like the ending... First of all, that scene you talked about when he's, when he's go- walking through the town and getting shot by the arrows, yeah. visually it's very nice. Plot-wise, it makes no fucking sense oh, why, he, issue with that. why he wouldn't fight back for one thing or okay. just cut the strings off the arrows that are connected to his back. Thank you. He, he can't because it's in the, it's in the miniseries. Yeah. But still, whatever, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like want. it's just, yeah, uh, it, he can. Yeah. And I'm also, willing him to cause I was yelling. Yeah. The plot wise in the film, just in a, a pure story sense, we go through this entire arc where he is struggling to, you know, be Wolverine cause he has lost his healing factor and he's constantly hurt and he's collapsing and he's getting, not, you know, whatever, uh, and he finally gets his healing factor back. And we have that badass fight he has with the father. And, and then to quickly again throw him down again to the back where he gets knocked out again and he, you know, he, he can't do his thing. Yeah. It just felt like a little bit too much of the same beats. Yeah. Come back around. Come again. back yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it didn't it didn't take away from the enjoyment of the movie, but it was just one of those things that ticks it down a, a notch because mm-hmm. of, of what happens there. And it was funny because when what's her name shows up, she just n- knocks the lock off one little gate, and then she's in the she's in the facility. I yeah. said that too. I'm like, why didn't she go with him? Yeah, <laughs> you should have listened to the girl, Logan. Stick with her. Uh, and for me, the love story thing—I didn't want to say it's the beginning, but the the thing that bothered me was not the beginning of it where they fell in love so quickly. It was kind of the way it resolved that I that I felt shortchanged it a lot because there was no. It was a very unemotional ending for me with the two of them. You know, there wasn't something that really kept them apart, except that he wanted to go home. Wolverine's got to go where Wolverine's got to go. Basically is what it was, and I understand <laughs> nice that. Eastwood there. I, I understand that, but I, I didn't feel like it was a very emotional ending to their love story. Like, I, they pretty much lost me at the point, like, as far as that goes, just specifically, they lost me when they slept together. Like, everything was fine up until then, and then... But, like, she was so cold to him. And, like, there wasn't one of those things where she was cold because secretly she was hot. 
But like, <laughs> she was just straight up like not interested. And then all of a sudden they're like madly in love and he's willing to die for her. No. Well, he was willing to die for her from the beginning. I mean, yeah, I, I, I know, but like I, that I was like a selfless thing. Is... Like he was trying to be a hero, but like it changed from hero to I'm in love with her. But like you don't actually <clears throat> feel that connection. Like there's just I don't know. No, see, I, I guess I'm. It reading... was cheap. It was cheap. <laughs> don't well, try to put a leash on the Wolverine. Yeah, I, I will. <laughs> I, I uh, let me just pull the room. I'm. I've read the mini. You mm. guys haven't. Yeah. So I, coming to it from that, I'm reading in what mm-hmm. I've read yeah. in print right. into mm-hmm. this movie, you're filling, and so you're, I'm I'm filling the, the yeah, gaps. Yeah, you're filling yeah. in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which often happens when you're watching something of uh, something you've read. Yeah, I didn't fill those blanks. The thing to me is him willing to sacrifice himself for her doesn't really ring false me just because he's the he's the hero of the movie so he'd be willing to do it for her whether he loved her or not you know uh the other way around though is a little bit different just because you don't know her so well and so i i guess i bought all that stuff i bought her being selfless about and everything i felt a little bit too like the the boyfriend guy the like the former lover or whatever Mm -hmm. the assassin slash nice guy thing asian green arrow his yeah Asian Green Arrow, his uh, <laughs> his his characterization, I felt like was uneven because he seemed like this very decent guy who was just trying to do what he thought was right for the family. And then there's that scene where he's with the Viper woman, and he's like, "Listen, bitch." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Come, this doesn't seem like this doesn't this doesn't resolve itself in my head. So those are just little things, obviously, that that take the consistency of the movie down um, a little bit, and also that ending with the silver samurai and the grandfather coming back. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like the ending it's, it's fine. I, it's, I don't think it's a great narrative ending to that story. Cause I don't feel like it really closes the loop perfectly. However, I felt logistically, I thought the fights were really, really good. I liked him fighting the silver samurai. I liked, um, her fighting Viper and, and all that stuff. So that's what I was very happy with, but those little things, just little evity things that just stacked up to bring it down just a couple notches. Um, you know, from, fantastic to just kind of mm-hmm. great in my mind that's really what it was mm-hmm. um and, and there's we're going to we'll talk about the credit scene in a second okay. any, any other no, spoilers well and because one there there's some scenes that there are some controversy about it's the famke jansa stuff oh yeah people are saying about the gene gray stuff right where uh, what is she doing why is she there why is she acting that way that mm-hmm. doesn't seem right well she's not there obviously yeah. it's it's his version of gene yeah and then there's some complaining. Well, it's like the scene in Star Trek in Darkness. Why is she in her negligee? Uh, they're in bed. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wolverine's fantasy version of Jean Grey. And you never see anything but basically yeah, her no. chest to her head, top of her head. And she's a little off. And yeah. she's a little angry with him yeah, because yeah. he's angry with himself. I yeah. thought it was beautifully well, played. Yeah. And like not just that. It's like you can clearly tell that like his Jean Grey is the mix of the Jean Grey that he knew pre-Phoenix mm-hmm. and then, like, you know, post-Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And you can t- see that kind of mix of them because she was, like, this hot and cold kind of character to him. Like, mm. And then there was, you know, Mystique and all this stuff. And it's, like, this big bundle of things that mm. this that, that kind of, I guess, inspired this Jean Grey to him. And I totally believe that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jean Grey isn't like my favorite choice in the whole wide world for like 
or sorry, Femke Janskin rather <laughs> isn't my favorite choice for Jean Grey, but I mean, I think she did a great job, and the fact that they got her back for this was awesome. Yeah, and I like the way they used her, and I feel like it reminds me a lot of the you know the Mall character in uh, Inception. You know, mm-hmm. the Leonardo DiCaprio's yeah. wife. Um, it reminded me a lot of that sort of feeling to it. And that's what I was saying before about the, the arc of the character. I felt like they brought him from this place where he didn't want to be around anybody. To the point where he realized, yeah, I don't want to be around anybody, but I have a job to do. There's still a lot of life left to be lived. And I thought that was great that they did an arc with the character. And it wasn't just, I'm a hero and now I'm a bigger hero. No. You know, it was, it was, I'm down and I've gone through this personal journey and I've come to the other side a better, more well-adjusted person. Hopefully that'll mean less waking up in the middle of the night with his claws out, almost killing women that he loves because he, that happens in every X-Men times. movie. Yeah. Like you, you've been Wolverine for what seems like about 200 years now. I think you should probably be able to get the claws in the middle of the night under control. Or get a therapist. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Steve, is there any other spoilers you want to talk about? No, I'm good. Okay, let's talk about the mid credit scene. So, um, this is this is the hook, right? This is when we talk about what's going to happen in the rest of this X-Men universe and X-Men uh, Days of Future Past was coming at us. We had, It says, two years later, Wolverine's walking through an airport and he decides to get the, the pat down instead of walking mm-hmm. through the metal detector. Um, and suddenly everything freaks out. And we've got Magneto in the mix and Wolverine can't move. And Magneto lets him know shit's gonna happen. You know, it, we need to we need to come, we need to work together. Why should I trust you? We get a little zombie Professor Xavier back back in the mix, <laughs> who somehow has his body back, shows up and basically says, "We got some shit that's gonna happen. Um, let's do this." It's a very paraphrased version. I don't want to go over beat for beat, yeah. but because if you've seen it, you already know what we're talking about. Uh, Bob, what did you think of this That's scene? Awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great setup. And they even addressed the zombie Professor X. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah. I have ways, kind yeah. of, is where we go. Mm. Uh, well, go ahead. They sort of um, implied after, what, X3 with Moira that there was, like, something going on anyways. So they kind of tied up that he wasn't dead to begin with in one of the post-credit scenes. Yeah, but he wakes up in, like, somebody else's body that's not yes. Professor X's born, body. Yes, born yes, without yes. a but brain. They, they, yeah, 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 yeah. They did cover that he was still somehow alive. Yeah, the, his so, consciousness anyways, was still alive, but he didn't have the... He didn't look like Patrick Stewart anymore. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah. But I just... I yeah. Put that up. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, they went for that even, mm. you know, they, they understood where everyone was mm. going to ask what we're mm. asking now. Well, how did he come back? Uh, you're really setting up the larger issues to come, and I don't know. Did, did do we know who directed this scene? We're we assuming it's I'm gonna, guess it's, I'm gonna guess it's Brian Singer. I'm guessing yeah. it's Brian Singer directed that scene. It looked like a Brian Singer directed thing to me that had all those elements. Right, everyone coming to a whole deep focus yeah, in the whole room. It looked yeah. too much like X Men One and Two for it not to have been Brian Singer shooting that scene. Um, yeah, and we also get the the, the Trask. Uh, industries commercial yes. on thing talk about the sentinels as well steve what'd you think of the credit sequence oh uh, it was fun mm-hmm. it was fun i had actually heard about a little bit beforehand of what it consisted of so it wasn't the biggest shocker mm-hmm. to me but it's definitely a great lead-in for days of future past and has me psyched to see everybody back on screen together mm-hmm. uh, i think it's going to be really cool i hope that they have enough of a hold on that story and enough of new things to drive the franchise forward and, and keep it interesting and keep it fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
Yeah. No, I don't know. It was it was a it was a nice chuckle, but what it actually what you just reminded me of, one of my favorite moments in the Wolverine is when he's being uh wanded by the uh group going into the the house yeah. in Japan and the things going off everywhere and he turns around and he goes hip replacement. Yeah. <laughs> just awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, I I'm really excited for that movie if not for any other reason i cannot wait to see the sentinels Mm -hmm. on the big screen that is the part of that movie that has me the most excited so uh bring it on yeah i want one of them to be hiding behind a tree (laughs) stephanie what what did you think anyways super quickly it was actually just um mangold who did the post-credit scene and he worked with simon kinberg who was the days of future past screenwriter oh wow on the scene crazy so brian singer didn't have any part in it. Wow, that's crazy. It oh. looks like a Brian Singer thing. Mm-hmm. He just got them up from Montreal one weekend when they weren't shooting mm. uh, with Brian Singer. Cool, that's awesome. Um, so nice going into this, like it was so freaking awesome. <laughs> um, seriously, I didn't. Again, I didn't love the movie. I really liked it. It was like good, not great for me. But had the movie been absolutely terrible, it would have still been like fan fucking tastic. Just for that final scene. <laughs> wow. Don't wow me. It was fantastic. I'm glad you liked it so much. Good. Um, I'm glad you're glad. For me, what it did is it brought up all of those great feelings I had back when I saw X2. So, you know, I, all that, all those feelings came back, and it it, it had that those, those same chemistry, the same chemistry. I love seeing Ian McKellen back as Magneto. That made me very, very happy. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm already incredibly psyched to see Days of Future Past and to get those three guys back together. I was hoping maybe there'd be another, another character would show up. You know, I felt like that was going to happen and it didn't, but, uh, it was still awesome and a really great, uh, post credit scene to throw in there. And just one more point about Wolverine, which I'll say, which I I loved. I loved that he was an agent of his own uh, destiny in the Wolverine. Everything that happened was because he he made a decision to do it. He wasn't being pushed along a track, you know, towards an ending, which I feel like happens a lot of these movies. Happens with X-Men Origins, Wolverine. You know, this was very much him deciding to do things and consequences of those actions and, and those better movies. And that's very much like a Wolverine thing to do. Like, yes. even when he's part of X-Men or anyone, any mm. team, his decisions are always his own. Like, yeah. he's always the rogue. So I agree with you. That totally made him Wolverine to me. Yeah. So, yeah. So thumbs up on the Wolverine all around. Yes. All Yay. around. Uh, quickly, I asked for some listener reactions to the movie. And we got some, oh. so I want to read them out. Um, uh, Christian says, loved by a good margin, the best X-Men movie. Finally, Fox did it right. This is this one is certainly on par with the other movies Marvel has been putting out. Uh, Leonardo Nieves says, didn't watch it, was burned bad by the Origins movie. I know it's silly, but I feel that if I didn't watch it, then Marvel will be one step closer to being able to purchase their rights back for the <laughs> X-Men franchise. Um, Dan Sim says, generic plot and convoluted villains were, bo- were bolstered by some clever action sequences, some unexpected cameos, especially in the mid credit scene. Um, Samuel Moon says, I was highly entertained. The ads are right. This is it. The Wolver- This is the movie. This is the Wolverine movie fans have been waiting for. I still liked First Class more, but this is a close second, followed by X Two. Uh, Joshua Curtin says I enjoyed it. Definitely better uh, than the first one. Um, 
Uh, Zimbray777 says, I thought it was a great movie, and when I was watching it, for some reason, it had an old boy feel to it, because it was like an old man running through Japan with a young Asian woman. Uh, But overall, it was pretty cool. The 3D sucked, though. (laughs) Uh, So there you go. (laughs) Um, So thank you guys for uh, writing in with those reactions. Um, Info at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address, at TalkingComics on Twitter, and Facebook.com slash TalkingComics is the Facebook page. (laughs) Um, And don't we have a what do you think up? Oh yeah, there's a what do you think of the Wolverine that's up right now. You guys can go comment on there and uh, and join in the community at, at talkingcombooks.com. Um, oh, after seeing the movie, before we get to the releases, it just made me think, and if you guys are joining us back in, we're done with spoilers now for the Wolverine. Um, what, made, what made me think about, you know, Jackman, this is his fifth time doing it, and Days of Future Pass will be his sixth time doing a full-length take on the character. Um who do you think that he's i don't want to say the best but in in this kind of i guess x-men and on comic book era that we're in right now because that was kind of the start of the modern comic book movie um do, do you think he uh has the best handle on the character of you know who's the best actor who's the most influential actor in this sphere of comic book movies should I go for the pun and say he's the best there is at what he does? <laughs> um, I, it, I'd be pretty hard-pressed to say anyone else, mm-hmm. especially considering he was their second choice. It was yeah. Ray, Ray Park, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would tell you Chris Evans is pretty close, mm-hmm. uh, just for inhabiting that man-out-of-time aspect of mm-hmm. it. But I think he's, he's second. I, I, I would have to tell you Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Stephanie? Um, I think Bob pretty well sums it up. Mm. I don't think I can't. I can't imagine anyone else have a any having a better grasp on it. Mm-hmm. I just mean like in general, as far as the actors who have inhabited these big comic book roles, like whether it's Chris Evans as Captain America, him as him as Wolverine. Is there anybody else you think has gotten the character as well as Hugh Jackman has gotten Wolverine? Um. Yeah. I mean. Okay. Yeah. Definitely Chris Evans as Captain America because I mean thinking way back to when we did our top five Marvel movies, mm-hmm. you know, Captain America was one of my favorites. Actually, it is my favorite, like, aside from, like, the Avengers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's so shocking for me, for someone who has, like, no past with that character whatsoever, to have that movie be like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And then Thor, I mean, Thor wasn't my favorite Marvel movie, but, I mean, I think Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Hemsworth both have extraordinary grasps on their characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve, what do you uh Tom Hiddleston mm-hmm. as Loki. Oh. He is he is Loki. Mm-hmm. He is just so good in in both the Avengers and Thor. And I'm hoping whatever role he plays in the new Thor film that he'll get some good screen time. He is just so devious and slimy and just he he play I believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, I really believe it. Uh, I would say Chris Hemsworth is another. I absolutely love uh, his Thor, even though, I mean, I feel like we got almost better Thor out of the Avengers than we did the Thor film. But uh, Hugh Jackman, I, I'll say this. After seeing this Wolverine film, I would say second 
mm-hmm. best. I would I would really like to keep that top spot open uh, up for grabs because some of these actors, whether they've been playing the character for a long time or they just nailed it, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a good like four or five people that to me really embody the characters and I... I don't know what the hell we're going to do when they eventually when somebody else takes up the helm. Yeah. 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 I mean, Jackman is the the thing about you Jackman is I think he does a great job of inhabiting that character and I I do agree with both Bob and Stephanie about it. I think that Chris Evans to me over everybody, I feel like I'm watching the character taken off the page and put into movie form uh which is the big difference between him I mean, to me, the biggest lightning rod and, and the the most tectonic uh, force in all of these movies is Robert Downey Jr. as as Tony Stark. But Tony, he is as much redefined who Tony Stark is across yeah. all medium that he has inhabited that character. I mean, he is he took a lot of what Tony was from the books, but he has remade Tony in his image in a lot of ways. And I don't even think it was necessarily, you know, his intention to do it, but it's just the way he is, you know, and he's such a personality, such a force that he remade that character who he is. Um, and you can see that reflected in the comics completely. Uh, so I, I think he's in a different plane, but I think Jackman and Evans are the two who have really taken those characters and really gotten into their skin and, and made them out. And Jackman even more so only because Jackman doesn't look anything like what Wolverine looks in the comic right. book. You know, Wolverine is a squat little, like, you know, big dude and Hugh Jackman is from for pretty much I mean he's ripped but he's a tall you know he's not slender but he's not you know a big giant bulky guy so uh I think that's pretty impressive that despite all their phys- his physical difference the personality comes through so strongly in, in in that stuff um but yeah it's it's crazy to it's great to be able to pick between all of these great actors who are inhabiting all of these roles you know um so yeah, so let's move on to uh, the releases uh, for this week. Um, from Action Lab, we have Skyward, number one of six. Um, from Aspen Comics, we have Journey, number four. Uh, from Avatar Press, we have Absolution Rubicon, number two. Caligula, Heart of Rome, number six. And Uber, number four. From Boom Studios, we've got Three Guns, number one. Adventure Time Summer Special, number one. Clive Barker's Next Testament, number three. Um, Planet of the Apes Spectacular, one shot. From Dark Horse, we have Akinero, number three of three. Amala's Blade, number four of four. Angel and Faith, number 24. BPRD Vampire, number five of five. Captain Midnight, number one. Um, We've got House of Golden Bones, number four. King Conan, The Hour of the Dragon, number three. Last of Us, American Dreams, number four of four. And Star Wars, Dark Times, A Spark Remains, number one of five. From DC Comics, we have Adventures of Superman, number three. Animal Man Annual, number two. Animal Man. Batman Annual, number two. Batman Incorporated, number 13, which is the final issue. Ba-ba-boom. Um... We have Collider, number one, a new series from Vertigo. Sweet. Um, Detective Comics, annual number two. Flash, annual number two. Injustice, Gods Among Us, number seven. Red Lanterns, number 22. Superboy, number 22. Smallville, season 11, special, number two. Tom Strong and the Planet of Peril, number one. Mm. Trinity of Sin, Pandora, number two. Wake, number three. 
Um, yes. From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Kevin Smith, The Bionic Man, number 22, and Warlords of Mars, number 26. From IDW, we have Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, number 7. G.I. Joe, number 6. G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero, number 192. We've got Judge Dread, Year 1, number 4. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, number 9. We've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 24. Transformers. More than meets the eye? That is correct. Whoa! Number 19. <laughs> you win nothing. From Image Comics, we have Bedlam, number 8. We've got Five Goats, The Haunting of Fabian Gray, number five of five. Um, it Girl in the Atomics, number 12. Last issue. Yeah. Uh, Morning Glories. Is it really? Yeah. Yep. Oh, it doesn't say that on here. Morning Glories, number 29. Yer. Sex, number five. And Youngblood, number 78. From Marvel Comics, we've got um, Captain Marvel, number 14. Daredevil, number 29. We've got uh, Fearless Defenders, number seven. FF, number 10. Mm. Guardians of the Galaxy, number five. Ooh. Indestructible Hulk, number 11. Kick-Ass 3, number one. Oh, sorry, it's the second printing. Sorry. Um, we've got Ultimate Comics, The Ultimates, number 28. Uncanny X-Force, number nine. Uncanny X-Men, number nine. Venom, number 38. What If AVX, number 404. Ooh, um, Wolverine, <laughs> Wolverine in the Flesh, number one. I don't know what that is. It's porno. Um, X-Men, number three. And X-Men Legacy, number 14. Um, from... No Valiant this week. So from Zenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales Presents Grim Universe, number five. And Grim Fairy Tales presents Werewolves the Hunger, number three. And that is it for the releases for this week. There's a lot of minis uh, ending today. There are. Lots. There are. I'm excited like that the Fabian one. Gray one is ending because I want to read it all. In yeah, I only, I only ended up getting the first issue. I was going to wait. Speaking of like supernatural image books, you read Ghosted, right? I or did. So, what did you I think did of it? Go. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. Very Tales from the Crypt. And I like... The it was a good first issue. It was a good introduce you to the characters, introduce you to the situation, and then at the end they really kind of throw you through a loop because now you add in the trust factor. Mm-hmm. You don't know who to trust anymore. Um, I was actually talking, uh, well, not talking to Joshua Williamson, but uh, tweeting with him back and forth earlier today. And he was asking, you know, his followers, you know, what do you think mm-hmm. uh, is the motivation or what happens at the last page? And I said to him, you know, whatever you whatever you write, obviously mm-hmm. you have your story. I'm not going to tell you mm-hmm. how to write your right. book. But wouldn't it be awesome if instead of that character being like in on some kind of conspiracy or plot, if she just upon using her powers realizes what's going on in the house mm-hmm. and is just kind of relishing in the chaos that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Just as like another personality quirk rather than a plot twist mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's a very busy man. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that book is really good. So I'm looking forward to when the, that next one uh, comes out. He actually wrote Captain Midnight, which is the number one issue oh. is coming out uh, uh, today. It's on the shelves today. Shit. Um, so uh, just to remind you guys, uh, we are doing episode 100 live um, at Reese's in Patchogue on September 20th at 8 p.m. Um, please RSVP to me, bobby at talkingcombooks.com. If you just want to feel out what the situation is, email me, 
But if you guys say you're coming, please make sure you are. And if you have to back out anytime between now and then, let me know so I can let somebody else in because we have a very limited number of RSVPs. We're already about half full, and we're only, I only announced it last wow. week. So um, please, guys, let me know if you want to come. Bobby at TalkingComicBooks.com. Um, so yeah, so that's it for this week. My personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve's? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I'm at Hello Cookie. Bob. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And remember, folks, if you're at Boston Comic Con this weekend, go see Stephanie. Say hello. Yeah. She will be there. Um, she will meow. She will meow at I you. I don't. You don't? I don't have a booth at this point oh. in time right now. Like, I don't. I haven't been assigned. Um, a table, I table with Bill Willingham for anyone who doesn't know that. Um, so if you know where he is, it's very likely that I will be nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I will have access to my phone all weekend. So if you are there um, and you want to come say hi or just chat for a little bit, send me a tweet because I will have access to, um, you know, the interwebs all oh. the way from, you know, my Canada phone and stuff. <laughs> but... You know, I've got an American one for Boston. So get in touch. All right. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. 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 All right. So that is it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Stick snicked. Bob. Good day. And Stephanie. Oh, yeah. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued.